fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast. We are on fire tonight. We're on fire. You don't look like you're on fire, Dennis. (laughs) You look look more like something's inflamed, but you don't look like you're on fire. (laughs) Dennis, I think... Sorry, kid. I thought yeah. you were dead. <laughs> I love you, Dennis. I love you too. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thank you. All right. What well, is the thirty-something movie podcast? Uh, we are talking backdraft this episode. Uh, I finally saw it, Pat. I know. So Whoa. it only took like a year. I'm just. I'm just telling you, John. I mean, I think this movie has like. The quote for you, for your career. I think you can mm-hmm. like, you know, man, how do you do it? Huh? How do you do it? How do you find new and exciting ways to mess up? I mean, like I'm, I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. because we're family friendly, yeah, but yeah. I'm just thinking like that is a quote that I think, John, you could put in your back pocket and probably use, you know. I, I have uh, someone had rec- someone had recommended to me a poster that you can buy on some website somewhere that is a list of literary insults, mm-hmm. and it's like listed out by situation. And I'm like, oh, I could do this. I like I might need one with movie quotes, but the literary one works too. And don't you a second time? Mm-hmm. Always well, my favorite. Well, I used to keep a collection of links to YouTube videos on my phone, and then whenever anything would happen, I would just go straight to that little uh, the little note in my notepad on my phone. Yep. And I'd pull up that uh, you know I'd, I'd pull up that one and one of the uh, you know different different videos for different situations. If something was going on and we have no control over what it is, I'd pull up the one where uh, spoiler alert: the uh, cast of The Walking Dead uh, finds out that Laurie has died, and everybody just starts bursting into tears. And I would play that one pretty constantly about two or three years ago at work. Just no control over the situation, and everybody just you just want to cry. It's, you just need that. Uh, the other video I had one time was, uh, or a couple times was the, um, when, uh, Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura has to go, uh, take a shower and chew a whole bunch of bubble gum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was that one too. If anything ever happened and, and felt, uh, disgusted enough, like you needed to go clean yourself off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you finally saw it because this is, this is, uh, it's, it's a great film, but I also think there's certain scenes and parts of it that, are good references for it's, you. Good it, reference material. It's rife for workplace inspirational poster yes. mottos. There it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, so thank you. Yes. I, as soon as I watched it, I'm, I'm listening to like half the lines in the movie. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And everything is on fire around them. So yes, this, this does fit very well. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, well, as you can hear already, I have uh, Pat Canigallo is here. Hey, hey. Dennis Matuch is here. Yo. Bo Warmbold is here. Yes, I am. And the rest of the Mouseketeers. How's everybody hey. doing? I wish I remembered that theme song right now. That'd be <laughs> funny. I don't. Yeah, I see. No. Hey. No. Okay. No? Okay. All right. Wait, we don't remember it or we're not supposed to chant it? Uh, whatever I, works. You can if you want to. I don't care. <laughs> I just couldn't come up with it in the moment, so it wasn't going to be organic. So, gotcha. What was the line I wanted to use a little while back? Uh, I had to pull it up here on IMDb so I'd get it right. You see that glow flashing in the corner of your eye? Yes, yes. It's It's your career dissipation light. (laughs) Just went into high gear. (laughs) I'd see that every Wednesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Is this the Friday? I'm finally going to lose it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you wait till Friday. That's nice. Well, you know, I got to give the week some chance, right? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. So this time around, we got backdraft. Before we get into that, uh, just very, very quickly, um, if you want to go visit our website, 30podcast.com, that's got all the different kinds of ways you can find our show. Listen to the episodes, find past episodes, uh, donate to the show if you want to join via Patreon and become one of our co-executive producers. Supporting us at any level on Patreon will get you access to the special Patreon-exclusive episodes that we put out once a month. Um, And then at different tiers, there are other benefits to joining in. So, um, if you are interested in doing that, go to our website, check out the donate section, and that'll take you to our Patreon page where you can find out more. Um, but uh, if, if you are not able to donate in that way or to kind of help us out in that way on the show, what really also helps us out is just listen to the show and share it with other people who you think may enjoy some of the movies we're talking about. Uh, we we have been told by more than one person that we have a fairly extensive back catalog of movies that we've covered. If you want to find out anything about movies from 1984 until now, until 1991. Um, we got a lot of stuff. So if you're on long road trips or anything like that, it, we have plenty there for you. So what is it? What is this episode? Is this episode 336? Oh man. Yes, I think this is episode 336. Yeah. So I was just looking at it. Yeah. So, um, yep. 220 to 21, whatever it takes, whatever it um, takes. Yep. 37, I believe. Is it three? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. If the spreadsheet okay. is correct. The spreadsheet is probably going to be wrong. I have to move a few things around. So <laughs> just, just so you know, I got to keep you guys on your toes. Yes. And and I say that primarily it's probably just for Bo because I don't think, any, I don't think anybody else looks at the spreadsheet. I'm sorry, but it's impossible to continue this discussion without a proper frame of reference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you saying I'm going to have to die in order to discuss your feelings of the afterlife? So there's a spreadsheet, huh? Yeah, there is. No, actually, Bo, Bo, you are correct. Oh, so that's that's right. The the spreadsheet is correct because I had forgotten uh, we have, let's see, at this point... I, we're recording a whole bunch of these way ahead of time, so I got to think about where we're at now. At, yes, at this point, I had to renumber some of the episodes because we I did because we I did can that see episode. We have a little problem coming up here. Uh, I haven't fixed that yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you expected me to be ready for February already? No. No. no uh-uh. I, hey, man. 
Well, yeah. I got to look at the spreadsheet now and see what the problem is. I had to, well, then I had to, the reason we were off a little bit is because I had to renumber because we had the uh, emergency special episode with the um, uh, Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast guys. Oh, right, yeah. Right before Christmas time. So, right. I can, well, and, and the math isn't as clean because you don't have the Patreon episodes don't count as episode numbers. So, correct. You know. Correct. So, really, we're, we're probably somewhere around 340 anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So. Excellent. I this is I'm sure this is completely riveting for anybody who doesn't love spreadsheets because they came here for the spreadsheets. <laughs> Gee, what kind I of, forgot we'd already started. Hey. <laughs> got a podcast. I'm looking for a movie podcast. Uh, maybe just what you know. in the wide, wide world of sports <laughs> have I found here? <laughs> looking for a fun movie podcast. I really like 90s stuff. Oh look, this one's on backdraft. <laughs> Why did they spend 20 minutes talking about a Microsoft Excel? I don't understand. Next week, we discuss how to format all of your row heights uniformly. Ooh. Don't you threaten me with a good time there, Pat. <laughs> I can, can insert functions like the best of them. Oh, hey, now. <laughs> can we can we talk about pivot tables? <laughs> oh, man, Excel. <laughs> Hey man, that's 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 pretty good, man. That would, that's good. Pod. That would be that's the worst. Right that would be the worst podcast ever. Actually, it might be the funniest podcast ever. If somebody did what they pretended to be was a serious podcast about Microsoft Office, and they just and every oh episode, gosh. every episode was just this explanation for how you do a, but they did it in such a way that it almost made it sound like it was, I don't know, insinuating oh, other man. things, maybe. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. You have God. to. Yeah. God bless it all. So anyway, on, uh. on tonight's episode, <laughs> we're going to be talking conditional formatting. <laughs> Strap yourselves in. And next week, protecting your sheets and cells. Ooh. Oh, that's the Patreon exclusive episode, Bo. Don't, <laughs> you know, come on. Why, why buy the spreadsheet when you can get the milk for free? Uh, that's mm -hmm. a good point. All right. All right. Well, we are here to talk about movies. What's that? So there's a spreadsheet. <laughs> there's a spreadsheet. <laughs> there is. It's very special. That's gonna be my only. It's uh, it's it's color it's color coded. So it's it is it is <laughs> mm -hmm. very fancily color coded. I must hey, say. It's uh, there are some things I can do well with a spreadsheet, and that's probably about it. I know how to color <laughs> the cells. That's about it. Looks fancy. Mm -hmm. All matters. All right. Well, we are here talking about movies. We're not here to talk about spreadsheets and cells and whatnot. And Pat's just having a good time over here. So that's fine. Um, I kind of want to make that Microsoft podcast now. I was about to say, John, do you want to go through how to make the different columns colored coded for yeah. the listening audience? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, my name's Clippy. <laughs> that's the name of the podcast. It's, yeah. Uh, Clippy's Clippy's Excel After Dark. <laughs> there we go. All right. No, we're not doing that podcast. Okay. Backdraft. We're here for backdraft. That is what we're here for. Uh, we, if if you haven't figured out already, we don't really hold anything back. We spoil stuff. We just talk about talk about stuff. So just be aware of that. We're just going to talk freely. So this is your only spoiler warning. Uh, before we get into Backdraft, though, I think, Patrick, you had a couple of movies or TV shows that you had seen recently on the Netflix that you were wanting to kind of recommend. Yeah, like um, there was a bunch of stuff jumped up on Netflix. The first one is uh, the final acting pr uh, pr 
performance of Chadwick Boseman. And mm. it's uh, it's about Ma Rainey, the famous blues singer. Yeah. And it's called called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I it's it was like really highly recommended and like all the reviews and everything were real positive. I um, and then it's it's about her. But then it's also about her trumpet player in her band. Uh, so I, you know, had a natural, you know, thing about a blues trumpet or a blue jazz trumpet player was kind of like, I'm going to check that out. Um, I just had a chance to start it and it looks pretty, pretty awesome. So I'll, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll watch it before the next podcast and, you know, the next new movie news, I'll be like, oh, you guys should check this out, you know? And, um, but yeah, uh, the, the Netflix about Ma Rainey looks awesome and it's Chadwick Boseman and he's, you know, I think his final acting thing. And, you know, we, we know that that guy's just was amazing. Um, so that was number one. The second one is actually, if you liked Band of Brothers or you liked Saving Private Ryan, there's an, another World War II, well, Saving Private Ryan is in a miniseries, but there's a World War II miniseries out there on Netflix called The Liberator. The thing that's interesting about this is it's all animated and it's fantastic, guys. I mean, it is awesome. What, the, what's that on? I'm sorry, what was that? Where, where can you see that? Netflix. Netflix, okay. Netflix. It's called The Liberator. I haven't watched it, it yet, but when I pulled up Netflix a few weeks ago, it was like a it was a trailer for like featured stuff that had just come out or something like that. Yeah. So I watched the trailer. The trailer was pretty cool. I just haven't I haven't pulled it up yeah. to watch the whole thing yet. It's it's very much <clears throat> in that vein of Band of Brothers where it's kind of an episodic and it follows an army company um, you know, through <clears throat> the war. It's only four episodes. So, I mean, um, you know, I, I wish it was like 20. You know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really a, a fascinating story. The idea of animation, um, I, I mean, I know that I think our country kind of lags behind in terms of acceptance of animation, kind of in terms of, of all that. You, you know, I think overall we tend to think of it as cartoon type of deal. But, and, and so I guess I, I don't want to say this the wrong way. I don't want to say, well, I'm surprised that, an you know, because I know that, you know, there's animation can be, you know, a pretty powerful medium, but the fact that it's animated really, it, it just, I don't know. It was awesome. The whole thing, the animation is excellent. And the, the characters that are presented in their stories are, um, are, are very, uh, what am I trying to say? Compelling. So anyways, those would be what I'd recommend is the Ma Rainey film. And then also if you're into, um, you know, a war movie, or war miniseries, um, The Liberator. And they're both on Netflix and they're really, really good. So. Nice. Yeah. I, w- while you're kind of on that track, um, we had just got done watching, I uh, think like back, like right before Christmas time, we had finished up the three seasons of Yellowstone, <laughs> which is on, if anybody's got the Peacock channel or the, the streaming service Peacock from, I think it's NBC. Yeah. Yes. Um, they have the three seasons of Yellowstone. That's actually been really good. It's it's a little rougher than Longmire, but it's kind of got that feel to it. Okay. It, so. it was dark at yeah. times. Oh, it, oh yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. We were watching. It, we're like, wow. That's so um, good. <laughs> that escalated real fast. Yep. Yeah. No, it's it was a good show though. Yes. Uh, Kevin Costner plays the father, and he's running this ranch and. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of faced with the, he's kind of faced with the reality that ranching life is not sustaining itself anymore. And so he's got, he's continually got 
these developers that are trying to take his land and, you know, somebody, somebody's always trying to take his land. And then he's got all the family drama with, you know, his, he was trying to raise his kids to take over someday. And at different points, they don't want to have anything to do with him. And there's all kinds of other drama. And then there's some other, there's kind of like a, a kind of a subplot of things going along, um, kind of on a, a nearby Indian reservation. Um, and so it's, it's got some of those kind of same similar feel to like a Longmire kind of in that way. So, and, and it's called what John? It's called Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah. Uh, Netflix. Uh, no, it's on Peacock. Peacock. Oh, you said that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. So it's, I, and I don't know, is Peacock, Peacock is free. Is it free for anybody or do you have to it's have free? If you have a Comcast subscription, yeah. I know okay. that I don't okay. know the rest. Okay. I don't, yeah, I think you can still subscribe to the app or something like that. I think, or something, okay. or to something. I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. We got it free because we got the streaming thing when we switched to Comcast as well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen that one. It's on the list, but yeah, it looks. It reminded me a lot of Longmire from mm-hmm. what I saw like, the, the previews and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I was thinking I was saying the one that I saw on, on Peacock too, which I'm trying to think if it's on anything else, was uh, Mr. Mercedes, which was the Stephen King based. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's a two season. So it's I kind of like it because it's I don't think there's going to be a three season. So it, not in a bad way, like it got let go. I think it just is a two season show, which I always right. appreciate when somebody does that and they don't milk something for four or five, six, seven seasons and mm-hmm. stir something out. It's like you have a story to tell. You you can't do it in one and a half hours, but you could do it in two seasons. That's awesome. Yeah. You get your cliffhanger, you get that type of stuff, and then you kind of, yeah. But that one's really good. Um, definitely like that one. And then I just saw this yesterday. I don't know if anybody can tell me yes or no on this, but it, it, it's on a short list here. It is um, something called Sweet Home on Netflix. Hmm. Uh, it says the structure of Sweet Home based on a comic of the same name by Kim Carnby and Wang Yong Chan. It's more or less the same as many of the post-apocalyptic shows we've seen in recent years. We're just to introduced to a group of dis- desperate, uh, de- disparate um, personalities, all of whom have their own struggles in their lives. And then the zombies or monsters or whatever mutant life forms threaten the remainder of humanity show up. These are strangers who have to band together and figure out how to survive. So how will one dis- how will this one distinguish itself? So anyway, it's kind of like an apartment building. It starts off reminds me if there's another one what was the one that was in the um i think you guys showed, there was one where like people had to communicate across a park uh, across like an uh, apartment complex zombies was it a zombie one was that uh another asian one yeah um was that um that wasn't trained to busan no because it wasn't that one there's a different one where the guy used like the drone to send something over to the girl and all that like was oh. back that might have been just a one-off movie that we saw. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I've anyway, seen that. But this one, it says, uh, basically, uh, residents of a grungy apartment building hide from bloodthirsty monsters. So yeah. I saw the first half of it yesterday, and I'm like, oh, this is definitely on the list. So yeah, cool. Pretty pretty That's decent. Cool. Right on. Happy, yes. so happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. Bo, have you got anything you've seen lately? Um, I finally caught up on the expanse, which is great. Now that that's back out, are uh, you on episode three of season five now? And you know what comes out tomorrow? Next episode, because they're dropping on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wednesday. That's right. My I have no idea what day it is at the moment. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is tomorrow. I'm just saying that I'm. I'm just saying I try to think of myself as impervious to cliffhangers, but after (laughs) catching up with that 
expanse at the end of the third episode. I was like, oh, come on. I know. I was like, wait a minute. I've been able to watch this for like a month straight here. Now I got to now I got to wait. Let's try to feel about that. That's a great show. Yeah, it really is. Don't don't tell me too much because we started watching that and Mm -hmm. we did the first season Mm -hmm. and then we kind of we got pulled into other things. So we haven't continued on just yet, but. That's kind of what happened to me. Yeah. And I got back into it about a month ago. And, and I'm, it's been great. I'm just going to say that there's a chance that um, Gunnery Sergeant uh, Bobby Draper makes my little heart go pitter pat. I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> I will not confirm or deny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, I'll, I'll confirm. Well, we can, we can probably confirm for you. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff, man. Without a doubt. Nice. I haven't seen that one, so okay. Oh yeah, that's five seasons already. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's they're short seasons, thirteen episodes. Yeah. Um, it's good hard sci-fi. Like, yeah. Okay. Deal with some of the things that a lot of other shows don't like: the communication delay and wow. things like that. So it's kind of it's a different tactic on some things. And you know what? The, um, the, the, how how ships travel in space. I always yeah. find that fascinating. You know, we tend to look at it like what you see in Star Wars or Star Trek, or, you know, where it's kind of like they operate like they would in, you know, so that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I'm also going through uh, Mandalorian. So I know I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, you guys are all ahead. I told John, just hold off. Um, <laughs> like I'm on three now, so. Should be well, you got some more good stuff to look forward to, that's for sure. Yeah. We, well, we it was won't. with the bread. I just can never get into it with everything going on in the last couple of weeks. I can never yeah, get totally. down yeah. and, and you know, it turns into one of those binge shows. Yeah. So you, you can't just do one. You t- typically will put two or three together at a night. So um, with the break here, that's, I got plenty of time to do that. In a rocket. So, yeah. This will be my evenings. Going Good. There you go. We may even skip Christmas. Just there you go. <laughs> call off Christmas. <laughs> no, kids are not doing it. Mandalorian. <laughs> Shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down. Oh, happy, 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 happy life day. There you go. <laughs> Call it life you, day. And I don't you, know about you guys. If you like, you know how the search thing happens. So on, on, um, on the, the, whatever the Peacock stream device or whatever, you know, it's got YouTube mm-hmm. in the apps in there. Whenever I click on YouTube and I go to home now, I'm getting, or, or recommended maybe, or home. You're, it, kidding, you're kidding. Everything is about the star Wars holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, awesome. Um, Daniels, the C3PO's talk, I'm interview with it about it. You got everybody. It's just, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's been, that's great. And I'm just watching different, you know, frame of points from uh frame of uh, viewpoints from this on this whole thing. Yeah. So, Tammy started watching the Mandalorian with me back. She's we're back in season one. So here we go. Mandalorian season one spoilers. <laughs> they reference life day. Yep. Yeah. I, and I was like, Oh my gosh. And Tammy goes life day. That's yeah. I, so because, because Favreau had even joked about doing a, a reboot. I don't know if this is the last one, what we were talking about, but I think we were talking about, yeah, we talked to him on the special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, were you on the special? Yeah, you were on there with us with the yeah. guy. And I think John mentioned that too. Like, well, so Favreau, if I'm saying Favreau, Favreau, I guess, um, is, was, has joked about doing a, a holiday special for Star Wars for some time. Mm-hmm. But what he's doing, because he, he's been putting all these drops from the holiday special into Mandalorian. Yes. Yeah. Little kind of little, cool, know, little plugs there and there, which is which is fun to see now. So it, yeah. it makes it makes having watched that over 
one final time in my life because it'll never happen again. <laughs> um, <laughs> it makes it somehow a little bit more worth it then. So yeah, some value there. Cause that was tough. Yes. <laughs> that, that was a, that was a, it was, it was, it was a, very, it was very vexing. Was I am chore. greatly vexed. It felt, it felt like it was part of hunters being grounded at the time. <laughs> I felt like I was punishing him. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, hey, can I go? Can I get, no, sit there. Nope. See it through. See it through. Nope. You started, you because he even mentioned it and asked about it. So it was kind of like you, you asked about it. Exactly. You're going to sit here and you're going to watch it. Cause I got to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> stay on target. <laughs> sit down right now. If you want to go out with, you know, with your girlfriend uh, next Friday night or whatever. So stay on target. Nothing will stand in our way. <laughs> no. Um, what was the, uh, the, the line I was thinking of there was, uh, Kylo Ren's line in, in watching the holiday special. I feel like I'm being torn apart. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. If I, I don't know if I have the strength to hit the stop button. Can you help me? Oh, yeah. Does, oh. I don't know if I would have made it all the way through if I wasn't able to fast forward through some of the musical numbers. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I would have. I don't know if I would have been able to, cause I was going, I only have so much time that I can give with this and, and I fast forward a little bit. Like I'll keep him in the seat. So Hunter stayed in the seat. Cause I'm like, Oh, we'll fast forward through this part. And, okay. Now. Yeah. Pay, pay attention. It's going to get good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're getting into that wonderful dialogue and compelling <laughs> plot. <laughs> There'll be some dialogue soon. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at, there's a clip from the old star Wars. Movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, it's a bunch of hairy monkeys grunting. It's <laughs> <laughs> bad. Oh, good bad. grief. All right. All right. So well, draft. Yeah, so, so backdraft. Um, <laughs> Very quickly, I wanted to show you guys something that I I bought for myself, and no one in my family will play with me. So um, at some point, maybe when we can, either we can do this over Zoom at some point, or uh, whenever we're able to kind of get back together again, I figured you gentlemen may appreciate this. I'm going to take off my virtual background here for a second so you can actually see this. Drop in the background. There we go. Uh, So I purchased for myself a game called Cinephile. Oh, yes. I don't know if you've seen this one or not. Yeah. So basically, it's it's a game for film nerds. And there, nice. are, there are several different ways to play. And uh, some of the easy ones are things like um, uh, filmography. This is for the easy movie geek. Object of the game is to name more films by one actor than your opponent's. Actors with longer filmographies, like Samuel Jackson, will mean longer rounds, while actors with fewer screen appearances, David Bowie, will naturally be shorter rounds. David, mm-hmm. David Bowie has more than you think he does, though. Um, some of the other ones are you have to uh, correctly guess more actors or films in 60 seconds than your opponents can, and you draw the cards, and each of the card has like a an actor on it, so like Javier Bardem. So if you go through and start like listing the listing the amount of movies that they're in or whatnot or the the names of the movies they're in, um, some of the other ones like the tougher ones were. So I was going to give you guys this one, see if you could do it real quick. Uh, Dennis, you might be able to do this too. We'll do, or you might be able to do this because I know you've the examples they have here on the card. I know you've seen. Uh, so the expert level one, cinephile, is the object of the game is to connect two actors through the films in which they've appeared. Players must connect the two actors in six moves or less. So it's a little bit of like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of deal. Um, But the lower the number of degrees, the better. 
So the example that they give is if we drew the cards for Joaquin Phoenix and Winona Ryder. Like, what is the fewest number of steps you could take to connect those two actors through movies they've been in? Fewest number of steps. If you had to connect Joaquin Phoenix and Winona Ryder. Well, and that doesn't mean just like what, um, like you could say Joaquin Phoenix was in this movie with this person who was in this movie with this person who was in this movie with Winona Ryder. They don't have to be in the same movie. No. Mm -mm. If you can get them in the same movie, great. That's one step and you're done. One step, right. I don't know if they were wearing. Hmm. Hmm. I want to say. While you're thinking, I would yeah. like to tell the listeners about the the uh, saving love of Microsoft Excel. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. <laughs> Come join us on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We had a Microsoft Excel Clippy's, podcast for about 30 seconds. <laughs> Clippy's Midnight Excel podcast. <laughs> We excel at podcasting. Hmm. All right. You, you, you want me to give you this one? Yeah, give me that one. Okay. I know that she was in with River Phoenix in a movie, I think, a long time ago, but I don't okay. think Joaquin. So this one, the example, Joaquin Phoenix, Winona Ryder. So step one would be Joaquin Phoenix was in The Village with Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney right. Weaver. So step two, Sigourney Weaver was in Alien Resurrection with Winona Ryder. Okay, there you go. Two steps. Oh, yeah. That's there that's the expert level of this game, and there's a there's a whole bunch of different rules for how you could play this game, and you can kind of, if you want to, you can kind of come up with some of your own rules, but um, this is not one that I could necessarily play with the family because, the, Bo, you know, this is would be kind of like playing Star Wars Trivial Pursuit with me. It's not fair. Yeah. It's not, uh, it's not something you want to do and feel good about yourself. So there is, there is a select group of people that I can play this game with and still be friends. <laughs> oh, we're here, in that select group. You are in that select group. Uh, so here's one. Uh, I know Dennis will appreciate this one. I just, I pulled a randomly, I pulled out one of the cards and uh, if you were to do this one, we do the, uh, the object of the game is to name more films by one actor than your opponents. Um, so let's see, you, you draw a deck, draw a card from the deck, read the name of the actor, and then you take turns. Each subsequent player must name another film in which the actor appeared. When a player can't name another film or repeats a film that's already been named, the next player will have a chance to knock that player out of the game. If the second player names an eligible film and the previous player is out, the round continues. So I, we're not going to follow the rules for this one, but the card I picked at random. <laughs> Nice. Oh, wow, yeah. so, wow, that'd be fun. So if we were playing the game, we'd have to take turns and keep naming, you know, so like if Bo went first, he'd have to name a movie he was in, and then I might go, and then Pat, and then Dennis, and we'd keep going until one of us couldn't do it, and then that person gets knocked out, and the rest of us continue. Mm-hmm. So so I don't know. I, I saw that the other day. I ordered it. I thought there was a small group of people I could probably actually play this with, and we would still remain friends. But it'd be horrendously but, fun. It would be, yeah. So at some point, either uh, either we do a Zoom game night, or uh, whenever we, you know, whenever we get back in person, yeah, that would we, be can, nice. we can we can do a podcast game night. 
That'd be good, man. So, but anyway, that was my, that was my, in, in, in pure, you know, in, in the same fashion as my dad, that was my birthday gift I bought for myself. Nice. Good for you. So, all right. We got anything else before we're going, before we're jumping into the backdraft? Hmm. It's not it's not wise to jump in the backdraft, but we're gonna do it anyway. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of all the Steve Martin movies. I know. Check that door for heat, Tim. <laughs> all right. Well then this one is backdraft. It came out on the twenty fourth of May nineteen ninety one, rated R with a runtime of two hours, seventeen minutes, directed by Ron Howard, who did solo a Star Wars story. Hello, and Apollo thirteen. Producers on this one were Penn Densham, Richard B. Lewis, and John Watson. Densham did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Maul Flanders. Lewis did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and The Space Between Us. And Watson did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Tank Girl. Writers on this one were Gregory Wyden, who did The Prophecy and Highlander. Um, cinematography was done by Mikhail Salomon, who also did The Abyss, Always, and Arachnophobia. Uh, up until this time, th he was progressing on here because all those other movies start with A. So he was just moving through the alphabet until he got to backdraft. Sure. Um, hmm, as you do. Music was done by Hans Zimmer, who did Inception and Man of Steel. The budget was $40 million. The box office was $152.4 million. So made a little bit of money there. Uh, Flick Metrics gives this one a 64%, so kind of a low score if you uh, if you kind of average out Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, Letterboxd, all those. Cinema score, however, gives it an A. So people who went to go see it in the theater and then as they left the theater were surveyed on how they liked it, those people all gave it an A. Starring Kurt Russell as Stephen McCaffrey, Dennis McCaffrey. He was in Escape from New York, Tombstone. William Baldwin was Brian McCaffrey. He was in Sliver and Fair Game. Robert De Niro played Donald Rimgale. He was in Taxi Driver and Joker. Donald Sutherland played Ronald Bartell. He was in Animal House, Hunger Games movies. Jennifer Jason Lee played Jennifer Vaticus. She was in Single White Female, Dolores Claiborne. Scott Glenn played John Adcox. He was in The Hunt for Red October and The Silence of the Lambs. Rebecca de Mornay played Helen McCaffrey. She was in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Risky Business. Jason Gedrick played Tim Krzminski. He was in the TV shows Bosch and Dexter. JT Iron Eagle. What's that? He was an Iron Eagle, too. And, and I, yeah, an Iron Eagle. Yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. mention Iron Eagle. Yes, we can mention Iron Eagle. I interrupted the intro. I'm sorry. I get excited for Iron You're Eagle. You're fine. It's... <sighs> <laughs> You've been Pat Splain. <laughs> okay, that's the one use it gets this episode. Uh, until Pat rejects my question. And then we've got that one too. Uh, JT Walsh uh, played Marty Swayzak. He was in Good Morning Vietnam and A Few Good Men. Um, he reminds me a lot of Donna Reed too. Chicago <laughs> firefighting brothers Stephen, played by Kurt Russell and Brian, played by William Baldwin, have been rivals since childhood. Brian, struggling to prove himself, transfers to the arson unit. There he aids Don, played by Robert De Niro, in his investigation into a bunch of fires involving oxygen-induced infernos called backdrafts. But in a conspiracy implicating a crooked politician and an arsonist leads Brian back to Stephen, he is forced to overcome his brotherly competitiveness in order to crack the case. It's like organized confusion. Over, over uh, three, four hundred degrees in temperature. And then you just got these guys that are running into this building. Everybody else is running out. 
We'll start with kind of our one of our typical questions. Uh, is this the first time you've seen this movie? And how does this movie make you feel? I'm just going to butt in real quick. Uh, yeah, go for it. That was cool hearing that the um, trailer, because they were using the Glory soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. it was particularly effective. And it's funny because a lot of times when I think of this movie, I hear the Glory, so- like I, I the soundtracks, like uh, there's, certain things that kind of mix. And I wonder if it's just cause I'm thinking back to hearing the trailer with that glory soundtrack, but it really, it was particularly effective. I, nothing against Hans Zimmer soundtrack, which was amazing. Loved it. But, uh, it was interesting hearing the, the glory piece in there. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, John. I gave it a, well, you gave it a, a gravitas. Yeah. Yeah. The charging Fort Wagner, right. Wasn't it like a, I, I think the title for that one, I think so. it, it could have been. I, th- I, th- oh, was it the credits? 
I think it was the credits when you have that that kind of electronic ish kind of pulse in it. I think that was when they do the when they do the credits. Yeah. But the charging the Ford is it's it's it also it's, it starts with a very rhythmic kind of a pulse like that. It's so when I saw this movie um, on VHS, we did not see it at the theater. We saw it on VHS um, with my family at home. My dad went to the store, got one of the new releases. It was Backdraft, and we saw it, and we all loved it, and it was a good movie. Powerful, good, funny um, at times, but serious, and, you know, yeah, good good all-around film. One of Ron Howard's... One of his, I mean, he's got a, he's got a lot of good ones, so I don't know where this ranks. But for that age, and and for a younger Ron Howard, it definitely is one of the I think one of the highlights. Yeah. When did you first see it, Bo? Gosh, probably right around when it came out, but I couldn't play a win for sure. It was a long time ago. This is the first time I'd seen it in a few years. Um. I didn't remember as much of it as I thought I would, but there were definitely scenes where I was like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's scenes and then there's stuff you forget. Yeah, exactly. Like the whole basis of the story, I had completely forgotten. You know, I mean, I I mean, not the whole basis, but like the the specifics of the story, who the characters are, what they do. And slowly was kind of kind of like deja vu. There's parts that you kind of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, now I got this. Oh, wait, no, I don't remember this. I knew it was one of the firefighters that was that was doing stuff, but I couldn't remember which one. And he's like that, you know, you had images in your head and stuff that you remember in certain scenes, kind of like. Star Wars Holiday Special, although <laughs> this, you know, the record when you when you revisit this one, it's a it's a pleasant experience. Versus, wow, you're gonna make that connection. <laughs> this is not the cinephile game. You don't have to try to connect the movies in really unrealistic connections. There you go. The uh, really quick, what was the box office on this one again? How well did it do? Did was it, it do well? I want to say like 152.4 million. Okay, so it was, and it the was, budget was, I think, like 40. Okay, so it did do yeah. really well. Yeah. I'm just trying to think, like, why, you know, we didn't go see this. Probably not one that we would go to the theater to see. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I, um, as a family, I, I, this was one of the first R rated movies I saw. And I saw it after it had come out. I, it wasn't in the theater, but it was funny. <clears throat> before I saw it, there was like one or two years of like, my, my folks went to see it. And they told me all about it and not like spoiler way, but they would talk about, you know, and, and uh, uh, there were certain parts that, you know, my mom was, would go down the list and see there were certain, not go down the list and talk about, there were certain parts uh, uh, that my dad would go down the list and talk about like things he liked about the movie, things where it was intense. My grandparents went to see this movie. My grandmother would sit there and go down the list of all the, my friends at school went down. So this movie like got hyped beyond all belief and it was like right on the cusp of seeing it and i'm like to my folks i'm like well can i see this thing and they're like "Eh." they were kind of on the fence and i finally saw it and i forget exactly where i don't know if i was at a buddy's house i don't know if i was i I don't i don't remember anyways and i remember watching it the first time and sitting there and just being like mind blown like it like all the hype for the year it was that perfect storm where all that hype did nothing but just build it up to this pedestal and this movie exceeded the pedestal you know it was like it was just this i i just was i was i was um figuratively just blown away um 
watching this movie. Um, and then I think I've watched it at least once a year, probably every year since then. Um, so that was, uh, that was when I first saw it. But now, Do you own it or you just watch it or stream it when you, when you say it? Because a lot of times people, one that they watch every year, they tend to own. I, yeah, you know what's funny? I stream it. I, and you know what? I would, I would always find it. And then I think for a while, I think I had it recorded. Um, so I would just watch, you know, I'd have it on a VHS and I would watch it. Um, or I recorded it off TV or when I was in college, you know, they, they had a channel on the closed on the campus TV where they would play movies. And when that came up, I would watch it. Um, Sometimes I'll just go on YouTube and just watch different clips of it. You know what I'm saying? But I, I just, I keep coming back to it um, and various scenes and, and so forth. So, but no, this is one I, I, I don't own. But John, I know your experience. Yeah, I, I want to get out of the way and let you talk because I know you've had the most recent experience with it. And I kind of hyped in on you for the last nine months. I think I was like, oh, John, oh, I got to see that. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, I, it was great. Like I had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, you mentioned, um, Dennis, I think you might've mentioned, you know, being one of Ron Howard's earlier films and before, before when I was taking notes on stuff a little bit earlier in the week, um, I had been looking around. I was like, I just, I, I don't remember, like, I want to look at his IMDB page and see where this is at. Um, you know, in terms of the list and, it was kind of interesting, like going, going and looking at his IMDb page and then remembering like when Solo came out, I remember there being a lot of people being like, ah, so they went with the safe choice and they did Ron Howard as the director when they dropped the original directors of Solo and they went with, went with Ron Howard. And I remember thinking about that and thinking, well, okay. I mean, I guess it's just why, what makes him a safe choice? And I'm looking back at his IMDb page now and I'm like, oh, okay. So what makes him the safe choice is when he puts his pants on, he makes gold records. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's cause I'm looking at it. I'm going, okay, well he did a bunch of TV movies, TV movies, TV movies, cocoon, willow, Parenthood, Backdraft, Far and Away, The Paper, Apollo 13, Ransom, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Da Vinci Code, Rush, uh, In the Heart of the Sea, Solo, a Star Okay, sure, he's the safe choice. <laughs> or he's yeah. the good choice. <laughs> yeah. No, like, so this, this was the like first time. Like, I, like when you look at that, when you look at his IMDb, I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's such variety there. He's not typecast. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. the great thing. Like when you think, because well, a lot of people are like, well, how could he do Solo? Well, how could he yeah. do, you know, like you said, two, uh, you pick any of those two movies and they don't necessarily – you don't think of one or the other, like it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is his, this is his, he's a thriller guy or he's right. a sci-fi guy. It's like comedy parenthood, you know, and then you jump to a yeah. or you know, so where he jumps around is it's, it's like, it's like he finds a good story or he finds something and, and that's what he does. Mm -hmm. Beautiful mind. I mean, beautiful mind, parenthood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you would think that the same person who does that does that. I mean, right. so well, that's, and that's, that's a, his all around. Yeah. You know, love of all genres almost, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So I like Ron Howard a lot. Yeah. Well, and, and even before when I hadn't seen this movie, I could not have told you cause this, you know, watching this probably like two, three weeks ago, that was the first time I had seen this movie. Um, and I could not have told you before watching the movie, I couldn't have told you who was in it. Like all I remember is the movie poster with the firefighter, you know, silhouetted against the fire. I couldn't have told you what actors were in the movie. I did not know, anything about it beyond, Oh yeah, it's a movie about firefighters. 
Um, and it's directed by Ron Howard. That's all I knew. But knowing that and then starting to watch the movie, I'm like, oh, okay, Kurt Russell's in here. We got a Baldwin. We, you know, plenty of other people. Um, one of the things while we're talking about Ron Howard for just a second, one of the things I do appreciate about Ron Howard is, as, as you said, Dennis, he's got this variety of his movies are not, they're not the same topic. They're not, you know, he, he doesn't harp on the same thing over and over again. But he, it's very, very clear that when he comes to a subject matter, like he leaps into it. Like he loves, it, it seems to me like he loves the subject matter of whatever he does. You know, when he's, it's very clear that in backdraft, he has such an appreciation for firefighters and what they do. When he did Apollo 13, it is very clear. He has an appreciation for NASA and the astronauts and what they do. Um, you know, when he did a beautiful mind, when he did, um, Rush, when he did In the Heart of the Sea, I mean, it's very, very clear to me. When he did Parenthood, um, you know, any of these, it just, it's very clear that if there's a group of people that he can somehow champion through his movie, that he really goes full steam ahead. And I was even reading up on how he donated a portion of the box office or a portion of his, I don't remember if it was the box office or his take for this movie to firefighters so that they could... Um, I think locally where he lives so that they could get better equipment or he went to Washington DC to lobby for firefighters so that they could get more funding. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff. You know, a, a director can make a movie and just be like, yeah, I made this movie about firefighters. It's good. Go watch it. Um, but it really seems like he's one of those people where he's going to make that movie and whether he had that appreciation before making the movie or gained that appreciation through the making of the movie, he seems like he's one of those people that, will genuinely like jump into the real world situation and say, Hey, yeah. So I made a movie about firefighters, but I also appreciate what the actual people do, not just what I did in my movie. So I'm going to fight for the real people who do this every single day. That's always something I've really appreciated about him. It's interesting that you say all that because he's catching Well, when I say he's catching or the film caught or he caught, he caught, he's catching some crap about the uh, hillbilly elegy film. Oh yeah. Um, that just came out because it's about the uh, the guy from kind of the you know made it to Yale and against all odds and um, but it's almost been political and he's sitting there saying like this wasn't a political film this was about the characters and you said he mm-hmm. cares about the characters and brings them to life and he champions somebody's story and that's what he's doing here um, I haven't seen the film I yeah. just have you know read some of the commentary about it but uh, he he did not set out to make anything political with this, but it turned into a political storm to a certain degree where people were kind of like really trashing the film saying, you know, like just bringing politics into it. And it just, he was defending it and saying, I'm really shocked by that because to me it was about the characters and about the story and about this amazing story. Yeah. You know, JD Vance and he makes it to Yale and that whole thing. And, you know, so that's, it's interesting. Like when they say safe choice too, I'm thinking that cancels out that because <laughs> that's not a safe choice. Right. I mean, he, I don't think he saw that coming though. Yeah. I don't think anybody did, you yeah. know, and it's like, Whoa, why is this becoming political now? So, um, yeah, but, uh, hillbilly elegy is the, the, the most recent one he did where it fits almost exactly what you described perfectly. Mm-hmm. When I, when I, when you start saying all that, I was like, Oh my God, this is exactly what I was kind of reading up on and listening to in reference to this new movie he did. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen the new one either. I'd be curious to see it, though. Yeah. it's I've heard good things about it. Well. I guess it's polar, I, a polarizing film. I don't know, is what some people have said. But it shouldn't okay. be. Yeah. That's what's so bizarre. So I think it's going to be one of those. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. 
Yeah, sometimes, you know, it, I mean, I, I have not seen this movie and I can't comment one way or the other, you know, on the specific movie. But I know that there's there's movies that have stood in my mind in the past where, you know, I'm just seeing it like just for what is the topic matter of the movie. But someone will come along and say, oh, well, this champions my outlook on the world or someone will come along to go after it and say, oh, well, that's the other side's outlook of the world and i haven't even <clears throat> until you said hillbilly elegy like i hadn't even heard of it but i'm just thinking of other movies and it it's it's um probably you know also given some of somewhat you know we're we're in a slightly divisive time right now mm-hmm. so i'm sure it's easy for people to you know to want to either find that or you know either as something is to be a champion or something to be a a foil to to, to fight against yeah I was just going to say, you know, when I was watching this movie um, and I don't know, you guys, you you guys know about camera angles and all that kind of stuff, but uh, the flow and pacing of this movie, and I don't know if that's the screenwriter or the director or that, but it just seems like, wow, it just flowed nicely. And each scene had emotional content in it, but it never got to the point where, okay, can we move it along, please? But there was nothing that was ever like, oh, no, I give me more. Why don't I need more of this or more of that? Or, you know, it really I mean, it gave you like everything was just in a really nice proportion and it was entertaining. The movie went flowed throughout and it, it just it just and I remember saying this, I think, when we had the discussion about Solo and we started talking about Ron Howard's movies. It's just everything is just so well crafted. I mean, that's and that's kind of the thing that I key in on is like in watching this film, there was plenty of fire scenes, but there was plenty of story. And the story wasn't like cheeseball romance. It was about real relationships. And, you know, then then there was also the relationships within, you know, brothers, family. And then there was, you know. Uh, There was the bad guy, but they didn't focus too much on the bad guy. They had just everything just seemed in balance, not in balance, but in balance. Everything was balanced with the movie. There was plenty of everything to go around in watching it. He's he's just he's just a good storyteller. And I I, I, I'm interested too. like a bit jealous, but, you know, interested, too, because obviously it's a good thing. But um, growing up as Opie. Surrounded by, you know, Andy, you know, like um, um, being on that show, he gets it's a film school, you know, right there every day as a kid. And, and, and while there are many childhood actors, that's why I guess, you know, when I say to his testament is a lot of people who are childhood actors might grow up on the shows. But do they really take notice of things? There's a certain heart right. that always went and went with that show. And I'm sure he learned a lot from um, from what's his name from uh, Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith. Yeah. You know, and Don Knotts. I mean, he's with some geniuses there mm-hmm. and. And and then then to go not only from that then to from have that yeah you know yeah you're talking like this is a lifelong lesson on great shows that had heart that had comedy that had variety that had drama so it's kind of interesting that that sort of plays out in all his movies as he does jump around he isn't not typecast it like just like those shows even though they were you know these kind of comedy sitcom things they had serious dramatic episodes they had serious heart to them they had characters that were developed they had you know so he got to grow up around that just absorb it where some other childhood actors get like you know caught up 
up in the fame and they caught up in that and they gave it the drugs. And, and it seemed like he was able to just be like a student and absorb everything he did. And now he pours it out as a director. So kind of a, you know, it's a cool thing, but mm-hmm. like that, you can't buy a better, better, uh, better film school, you know, tuition right there, pay for and it's priceless. No. Yeah. So, so one of the things I thought was kind of interesting about this movie is, and you, and, and I got that feeling watching this movie. Cause even when I thought about it, I'm like, I can't think of too many other movies, at least not off the top of my head that deal kind of exclusively with firefighters, you know, being the, the main character or the, or the main force in the movie. And, it really, and, and I, I read this up after the fact too. So I was like, okay, well, good. That that confirms kind of what I was feeling when I was watching it. To me, this really felt like, you know, one of the reasons that I become that I became a teacher was because of Dead Poet Society. You know, one of the reasons that I enjoyed the idea of podcasting. Oh, these are all going to be Robin Williams. One of the idea, one of the reasons I enjoyed the idea of podcasting or radio was Good Morning Vietnam. You know, some people you you want to get into the military because of top gun or you know whatever the case may be um and this apparently and i read this up and this is true there are a lot of people who became firefighters and they said oh man it's because i, I saw backdraft and i was like man that's I, that's what i want to do so it's like this is one of those movies that you know people went to go see it and it was one of those that inspired a whole segment of people to say that's me like that's mm-hmm. what i want to go do right. yeah and you, I mean, you can tell, and, and and I think that's part of the. Not only does when we've we've been talking about how you know Ron Howard kind of put some of his either respect or love of this subject into the movie, and, and it's very clear you can tell all that. Um, and so I don't know if that was because of his direction or what the other case may be, but apparently the other actors in the movie, Kurt Russell, um, you know William Baldwin. They actually were they were doing their own stunts like they were kind of going above and beyond. And I don't know if it's because, you know, they, they mentioned in one of the trivia things that they had a, a lighter prop uh, hose that could have been carried up one of the ladders or up the stairs. Instead, they're like, no, 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 we, we want the full thing. We want the full 50 pound hose because, you know, we want to get this as close to authentic as we can. So I, I guess, you know, one of my questions or one of the things we can talk about is. When you have actors that do that, do you think that's because they also genuinely love the subject? Are they just being really good actors and wanting to keep it as authentic as they can? Or do you think that that might have been they were inspired by Ron Howard, you know, pouring, you know, his own respect for firefighters into this movie? And that's why they kind of chose to do those things. I don't know. It was interesting to me. And apparently them doing their own stunts, like the stunt coordinator was so impressed with that, that he included their names in the list of uh, stunt people for the movie as well. Mm -hmm. So I think they get listed in the the credits twice, Um, you know, but typically you don't do your own stunts unless you really believe in the movie that you're working on. Mm -hmm. I think it's all the above. Right. So, I mean, having the actual equipment is going to make their performances, I think more authentic and truer versus having to try to fake something. And so it, it sells also knowing and respecting that probably firefighters are going to watch this movie. So therefore if they know it's a light, if it's obvious that it's a light 
lighter prop. They can tell, you know, it's like military people can tell when something's not real in the military. So I think the more they wanted to keep it true to who they were portraying because they were respecting the profession as well. And going back to um, your previous question about like, you know, those things inspired me to be a teacher. And I know it's one of our questions, but yeah, this, this was one of my, one of my possible uh, career choices. So um, and, and at the time of this, again, where I was at just out of high school, that was a big part of it. So I will say that backdraft, I'm not going to say it was the, oh my God, I saw backdraft and said that I want to be a firefighter. It was, I was already thinking about it. This helped also make me think about it even more seriously is what, mm-hmm. so it reinforced it. Some, some already existing thoughts about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could say that any yeah. better, but it's respect for the process, respect for the material, I think is what drives decisions like that. I mean, um, I think it's great that they did their own stuff. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, especially when you read about some of the crazy stuff those, these guys did. I mean, Scott Glenn was on fire for a little bit. Um, I mean, he, what they could to make the movie as real as possible and i think that shows in the final product i think it's kind of like um when i heard donnie Wahlberg and some of them talk about what was it um this the um the last uh wait was it uh, lone survivor lone survivor yes and it was uh mark Wahlberg. yeah mark Wahlberg. sorry sorry did i say donnie yeah I did. Okay. All right. But uh, I know who I know who you meant. Yeah. I know who you meant. So Mark, well, yeah, like just just that respect of the uh, of the of the characters. You're, you're whether they're fictional or not fictional, those characters represent people who go through a lot of that same stuff. So I think you want to do it justice, and you don't want to be like the spoiled rich actor who's just playing. You know, this on TV. You actually are pouring something more into that role, and I think there's a lot of good actors do that. I mean, Tom Cruise does all his stunts, but maybe for other yeah. reasons. But I think that's also maybe him more for the craft and making it more realistic. But I don't know. Right. He may also be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. But I was hey. going to say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you have several you have several instances of them talking about, and I guess in either documentaries or making of stuff that have come out since backdraft was released. You've got several instances of them talking about, well, you know, we didn't have CGI fire like you do now. So this is all real fire. And they started a, I think it was like a couple months or so before the movie started filming the, um, I think the stunt coordinator and a couple other guys built a fire lab where they'd kind of played around with explosives uh, cause, you know, cause that sounds like a great idea, um, playing around with explosives and setting fires and seeing how they could get the fire to act in certain ways, you know, so you could get that sense that, you know, fire is a living thing and, um, you know, get it to, to film certain ways when you're doing, you know, certain scenes and, and wanting to really treat the fire as a character in the movie. But then you hear all these different things, Bo, you started to mention some of them that like they actually set themselves on fire, um, for certain scenes, um, there was Kurt Russell was quoted as saying uh, one of the times uh, he said uh, up until backdraft, there wasn't a lot of this. I know that because Ron Howard and I talked about it a lot, we had to go and find actors that were willing to set themselves on fire using a gel that had only just been invented. 
After that movie, more and more directors started wanting to put actors into scenes, but there's something else that's very real that goes along with that. One of those actors goes down for any reason. That's a lot of money. So you have to be very, very, very careful. The stunt people then become extremely important in terms of how they set up something with the actors and the directors so that you can do this and get away with it. And then I want to say in like the same interview, uh, he followed up by saying, nobody will ever do a movie harder than Backdraft. So it really mm-hmm. sounds like they threw themselves into the stunts. They they weren't 100% sure, you know, how it was going to go setting themselves on fire and, you know, actually getting close to the fire. And, and I, I believe one of the other things I read was, they wanted it to be so realistic and, and and get a sense of what it was like to be a firefighter charging into one of those scenarios that they had the cameramen, uh, I think, were, were done up in like full firefighter gear and they would actually charge kind of into the fire themselves with the, I don't know how they protected the camera equipment, but um, I'm sure they had some kind of casing or something yeah, they could use. They do. There's a, ah, there was something on IMDb. Let me see if okay. I can find it real quick. But yeah, even the cameramen like got done up in the in firefighter gear so that they could take the shots even closer into the fire when they did those scenes. So, yeah, just everybody pushing the envelope to to make the movie even more authentic. Well, when you Bo, go ahead. Did you find it? Yeah, they actually designed um, Claremont Camera designed fireproof covers for yeah. this movie. Okay. Well, and you know, it's cue cue the discussion that we've had so many about the so many times before about practical versus CGI effects. And when you get those practical effects of, I mean, you go into those buildings and I mean, it's just what I would assume would be the very claustrophobic environment of, you know, the fire and the smoke and all this kind of thing. And then some of those end sequences when they were at that final big one where they were up on the roof and the roof collapsing. And then when, you know, and and that, you know, not to quote Monty Python, but that could be a model, right? But then when you see that scene where uh, he's inside and he's trying to go for the hose or something to get to his brother and he's running through that and you could tell like that's a big warehouse with a lot of things exploding. I mean, they, you know, those sets that they had were just so awe inspiring and uh, not speaking, not speaking from uh, uh, any sort of expertise, but I, I could imagine that anytime you're dealing with, explosions or flame or fire on a large scale. Yeah. You, I mean, what's the, what's the line playing with fire, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be pretty, I could imagine pretty unpredictable and, and uh, uh, very dangerous. And it, it was, it was, it was very effective. Now I've, I've done some reading to see that, you know, there, there maybe was some Hollywood in the way that some of the ways that the fire would move, you know, like kind of, Oh, yeah, up the and, visual part of it, they had to do some upside down shots because fire yeah. doesn't move that way on a floor and yeah. that sort of thing. And that makes sense. I mean, even watching it, it doesn't look natural. Right. And, 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 and I mean, I think on that and it's kind of like, yeah, OK, in one sense, I mean, I'm not a fireman, so I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, well, this is that or the other thing. But you see it move like that. And I especially as a kid, I was kind of like, wow, that 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 can do that. I mean, that's like the Velociraptor being able to open the door and direct. Okay. Spoilers, Jurassic Park. That's like the Velociraptor being able to open the door. I mean, you know, when, 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 when 12 year old Pat is sitting there watching this movie and then all of a sudden, you know, the fire is quote unquote looking at him and then makes that, that kind of wailing sound like the Banshee does. And then it backs up down the hall, turns the corner, goes in the door, slams the door and locks the door. It's kind of like, Whoa, what? Like, and 
and I don't mean this as a as a as a as a diss on the movie. I think it was so effective because you know you are sitting there as an audience member like wow, that seems almost supernatural, but it's not enough to make you like, oh, this is complete malarkey, but it's just <laughs> enough to kind of put you on the edge of your seat. Like, wow, that's that's a different world when you go running into a building on fire. And I think that's what the movie was intending to do, you know, and, right. and I, I think it did it very effectively. Check the door to see if it's cool, but I think we're all safe in here as long as the fire hasn't learned how to unlock doors. <laughs> that's right. We should be fine. Cue, cue the scene where the fire was in that room and like pushing the middle part of the door, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, stuff, that's, where I, that's where I want to introduce a new segment to our show here. And, and this is in honor of my dad who used to try to have to convince our family that every movie was a love story. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going I'm to cue the music here. There we go. Hey, this movie is a love story to fire. Like the way the fire moves, the way it's filmed. I mean, obviously you have the love story of the uh, the, the couple maybe trying to get back together again, but um, I just want to take a moment in our brief little segment here to talk about how Backdraft is a love story. <laughs> okay, that's all I have to say about that. Um, Speaking of love story, could yeah. they have found a better spot than the top of a fire truck? I'm just saying, I'm just, I don't mean to be that guy, but. Yeah, I mean. And when you're in the moment, Pat, I mean, you know, I guess that strikes you. You got to do what you got to do. I, I, I guess I'm just too practical. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> would have been awkward if the ladder had started raising up. Yeah, see, that would have been <laughs> perfect. You have, a, you have a issue with the uh, with Watchmen with Hitch, that scene. Hitch, Hitchcock would have done that as a as a train tunnel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In this, right. in this movie, it's a fire truck ladder. The love scene in Watchmen when they're in the ship. The love scene? The Watchmen? Is that the one with the the superheroes? With the yeah. Watchmen? Yeah. Yeah. Remember the, the ship is... Well, anyway, when John started talking about the ladder, too. That, the, no, I don't have a problem with that. I didn't have a problem with this scene. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't have a problem with the scene either. I'm and just saying I would have been... a problem with that one. I'm wondering if it was... Yeah. And there's, I mean, and there's, that's more looking for comfort. Yeah, why do you hate that? Amorous, you know? <laughs> Why do you hate love scenes, Pat? <laughs> it takes away from the action. I'm just saying. Pat, why, do you, hate, why do you hate Home Alone, Pat? <laughs> more fire. Pat, why do you hate Home Alone? <laughs> I don't know, man. I just felt like the kid was picked on, but I insulted I insulted Padraig, and I felt really bad about that, man. I apologize to the guy. You know, he's going through those things. Again, I just, gosh, bloody, I forgot. <laughs> I felt bad. He's like, well, my favorite movie is this. And I'm like, oh, I just said i didn't like that movie i'm so sorry <laughs> oh man i love all the movies no i um uh no i'm just saying like i think they could have picked a more practical spot i'm just saying sure. suggestions well i've got plenty but we're a family-friendly podcast man i mean i'm, <laughs> I'm just, just i'm just saying i don't think practicality was really first thing on their mind you know that, i think I mean, they were thinking well I'm just saying, did it? Did yeah, they're it. in an active firehouse. They were looking for a quiet spot. They found one. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, right in the middle of sirens going off and driving down oh, the middle of the street. No, that was going to happen. That's you got to prepare for those contingencies. I'm just saying, you do your thinking beforehand. So, yeah. you know. So where would you have gone? <laughs> this is a family-friendly podcast. You're right. You're right. You know. Let, I'll send you my playbook when we're off the air. <laughs> The playbook. This I gotta see. Just looking from a writer's standpoint, what would you have written at? You know, still keeping it R. 
Oh, you're. Oh, I see. So you're, you're like, I'm. I'm. I know what. Well, hey, I, I know what. Uh, I know what song Pat's got playing yeah, in the background. This is what Pat's got playing in the background with the fire ladder. I take your hand and hold it we know this one? Lightly. I'll skip ahead a little bit. <laughs> and the ladder reads full erect status. There we go. From your there we go. Your smile is sweeter than the morning. And here it comes. Can't you feel it, There we go. Yeah, but in answer to your question, Dennis, I, I don't know that – because they had to get him to the scene where Tim got burned, right? He had to be there. Right. And he – you know, I think that when – that was such a, a horrific scene, okay, um, you kind of had to be like, oh, wow. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you were in the safe spot with, with the romance scene and then you just get slammed with that other thing where it's like, oh my God, like that was one of the most horrific parts of the movie. Right. So I, I think that when, you know, it really serves to get the audience kind of keep the audience off, off balance in a good way, you know, kind of the, the highs and lows. So no, I get it that if, if it was a different location or different, whatever, you know, that we're just, we're just kind of busting you for the, you know, just, Oh, I know. And so, I, I mean, and again, I, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it was more of an offhand comment, but so I, I see it. And I mean, you had to put the humor in along the way, you know, the riding on top of the fire truck and, you know, some of, you know, they're, they're showing that scene while Kurt Russell's doing his voiceover about the state of the fire. I mean, that was kind of, you know, there was some humor in there. Um, but again, I'll maintain what I said before. I mean, it, it just, it wasn't overdone. I mean, another mark of Ron Howard making the movie that I seem to pick up on is it wasn't overdone. It was like, okay, I give it that. Yes. But it wasn't like, it didn't take me out of the movie. You know what I'm saying? Just enough to bring that you had. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And again, and again, they needed you to be in like a happy spot to really get hit with Tim being burned. Contrast of that. Yeah. And, and you needed, you needed him there. Right. So that when they come running out of the building, you were seeing it from his perspective. So. I want to read you guys something. This is part of the review from Roger Ebert that came out in 91 when this came out. And I want to get your take on this. Sorry, Um, Roger. I think you got it wrong. You're a great (laughs) movie reviewer, but did you, did you already read it? I, I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> okay. Well, he gave the movie three stars, so he did like yeah. the movie. Um, but uh, I'm going to read. Here's a couple of quick little paragraphs here. Um, he says, never before in the movies have I seen fire portrayed by such convincing, encompassing special effects. Unfortunately, they are at the service of an unworthy plot. If the story of this movie had risen to the level of the production values, it might really have amounted to something. The movie grafts no less than three formulas onto its wonderful action scenes. We get brothers who are rivals, 
two broken couples trying to find love again, and a crooked politician who may be behind a series of crimes. Each of these formulas unwinds with relentless conventionality. Yay, nay. I mean, I can, I, I, I'm not going to say that that's not, I don't think you can necessarily argue that as a, as a, um, as a point, like as a, or as an observation, but something can still work and still be somewhat conventional with performances and with direction and with pacing and editing. And, and, uh, it doesn't mean, I mean, look at any movie and you could probably say like, you know, what dances with wolves is like, you know, another movie. And it doesn't mean that, you know, there's a lot of formula. I mean, there's only so many formulas out there mm-hmm. to break new ground is difficult. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you take off points for that necessarily, unless you're, you've got a big category on originality, but mm-hmm. I think, putting in that setting with firefighters and taking some of those other formulas that he mentions, which I can't argue are, are there. Um, it still doesn't take away from the movie experience. So what about his point? I think one of the other points he's trying to make is that the story is weak. Do you agree with that? Um, I, I still get choked up with the whole brothers and by extent siblings. I mean, I think brothers, yes, but you know, I think it could be true with siblings. I, I, I still got choked up and wrapped up in acting. Is that the acting and the characters playing them or is that the right, I guess what, is that what he's, I I'm guessing again, um, I haven't read the, the whole review, but I'm guessing is he's sort of saying that it's literally the writing of the story. Like if you were to take that and look at a script and not have any actors, don't have um, Kurt Russell, don't have any of those actors in, in Baldwin, nobody in mind. And you're reading that as a story. Would you be saying this is a good story to go ahead with, or it needs work? Is that kind of that's that that's a good that's a good point. My gut reaction would be see it, it works. And sometimes there's movies like that that you might look and say, well, there's nothing really obviously like great about it in terms of the writing. It's not some novel script, but it works. And I think that's the bottom line for a moviegoer is we're dealing with formulas all the time when you watch movies. Um, But some people do those form, apply the formulas better than others. And this would be one of those cases. That would be my. Yeah. I, I kind of, I agree with you. And, And like I said, if you take all the actors out and you give me like the novelization to read, or if I just read through the script, I still think it's effective because, I mean, you're sitting there and it's just like, you know, no one brother was right. They both had their flaws. Um, I think Bill Baldwin's character, um, I, what was it Dan? Was it Danny McCaffrey or was that the older one? Stephen was the older one. Stephen was the, the younger one. Brian. And, I mean, Brian, you know – I mean, he was trying to weasel his way through. He did screw up in the first fire. Um, you know, he did get like, like it took him a while to get adjust. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he had his struggles. It wasn't like he was like superhero right away. Um, but then he did come good in the end and he did realize where he wanted to be and so forth. Um, Stephen McCaffrey, same thing. I mean, he was like, he, he knew what he was about in the fire. Right. But it was like one of those things where he was the character where, unless he was fighting a fire, he was very, I don't want to say awkward, but he just didn't adapt. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like that, like when you get him out of fighting fires, he had problems with his family. He didn't relate to his brother and the other firefighters, they sort of were just like, man, they, 
they could trust him, but they kind of were, do you know what I'm saying? There was like this, uh, I don't know if we can trust him because man, how did he know the fire wasn't going to flash on him? You know what I'm saying? So for you, the story works on paper too. Yeah. I should have just said, yes, the story works on paper. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that's, and, and like I, I, and no, and I'm, I'm saying, I think that, right. that makes yeah. sense too. And that's your, so you're answering no to, to Roger Ebert in mm-hmm. terms of it's not a weak story. He, I'm he, not going to say it's a weak story either, but I will concede that there's formula there and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. And, and like I would, my other comparison, I think I was saying dancing with bulls. It was avatar mm. avatar. And everybody says they compare the two basically like it's, I think I've heard Cameron say it's like avatar in space or yeah. sorry, um, avatar is dancing with wolves in space, mm-hmm. you know, and you see that I saw that the first time I saw it, I thought, wow, I did not when I was watching the film, but after the film was over and I was digesting it, I was like, I feel like I've seen this story before. It was good. Now I, I love both dances with wolves and I loved avatar. Right. You know? But if they're the same story, it's kind of what, what Roger Ebert would be. Would you take off points for that? Or is it both were done really well and you you applaud that? You know, so I don't know. I, I err on the side of applauding with that. Like, yeah, I'd love to see something new, novel, and groundbreaking, but you're that's so easier as Roger write your own movie. You know, that's what I would say. Yeah, he, he actually takes it a few paragraphs later in the same review. He actually take he actually gets even even more harsh <laughs> when he goes on in the review. He goes on to say uh, the producers did not get their money's worth from the screenplay by Gregory Wyden, unless, of course, all they wanted was a clothesline from which to hang their special effects. That's all they got. We know that the director, Ron Howard, can handle more truthful and complex plots because he has made Parenthood and Cocoon. Maybe this time he deliberately chose to make a no-brainer. But then you have the scenes involving fire. They're so good, they make me recommend the movie anyway, despite its brain-damaged screenplay. Hmm. Like, ouch. That's, that's harsh. Yeah, that's harsh. <laughs> that's... I mean, it's so not, what would, it's so not what North, would Roger. <laughs> this isn't the movie North, Roger. That love scene. <laughs> yeah. what, what was that? You would change the love scene location. <laughs> yeah. he, Roger Ebert, oh, I hear Roger I Ebert, I, I hear Roger Ebert preferred ambulances. I, um. <laughs> Is it an actual bed? Yeah. Yeah. I, I boy, I, that's just, that seems a little bit harsh. I'd, I'd like someone yeah. that's it. Yeah. I'd like a, someone that's an expert to kind of explain that to me. Cause let's take all the, let's take all the fire and the explosions and all that kind of stuff out of it. And I, I mean, I still think you have some pretty. Still have a movie about a corrupt politician. Okay. Who may be involved in fires being set. You have the fire investigation. Right. I suppose maybe they could have delved deeper into that side of thing, but yeah, but even that, I mean, it wasn't like he was setting the fires because that was the big twist is that it was right. Exactly. But you don't, but my point is, you know, just looking at the script, that's what you have. You have the possibility that he's doing it or that he's setting someone up to do it. Um, I think it's a lot of meat to it, even without the special effects and everything. No. Yeah, I agree with you. That's And, And again, I'm not, I'm by no means an expert and I haven't made anything, you know, other than the classic, um, uh, band director, I part partaked, partook in, um, if that's a word, but, uh, when I would have kids write ideas for their claymations or ideas for, you know, a film project, and I'd have to sit there and go through them and we would have kids stand up in front of a class and they would have to pitch that to the other class, just like a pitching process. Um, you know, it was one of those things where I used to label that as, nah, I've seen that a thousand times before. 
eh, I've seen that, but that's got some potential or wow, that's a great idea. Never heard of that before. We used to kind of categorize sometimes like that, like that gets you the green light, go ahead. Even if I read that script and that story, I would say still has potential. This is all going to depend. And I used to tell kids, it depends on your animation, depends on your characters. It depends on how you do that. Your story is not anything that I haven't heard before. You know, maybe you can mix it up or twist it a little bit here and there and make it a little bit more unique. That's what the suggestion always was. But at the same time, you know, it, it's a formula. You're, the kids would go to a formula. They go to what maybe they've seen before, or done, which is, which, like I said, is filmmaking all. I mean, pick a movie in Hollywood that is super groundbreaking and it's pretty rare to find. Yeah, and, that's, you know. I mean, yeah. Star Wars, as novel as that all seemed, really, it's a Western, space Western, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. so so criticizing it based on, on, on the form is, I don't know if he's criticizing it more now on the script and the storyline, it sounds like, later on where he gets a little bit more harsh, um, like it's just saying it's weak. Well, but- it, his, his last paragraph of his review makes it sound like all he wanted was a documentary on firefighters because he said his last paragraph is backdraft is such a technical achievement. So, I mean, he praises the the technical part of the movie backdraft is such a technical achievement. It will probably make its money and become a hit. What I regret (laughs) is that all the expertise lavished on this movie couldn't have been put at the service of a more intelligent story about real firemen, real working conditions, real heroism and the real craft and art of firefighting. So it sounds like instead of a Hollywood movie, he wanted a documentary on firefighters. Yeah. And, and I don't think, you know, like if you look at that movie, do I think that everyday life of a firefighter is what's in this movie and all those things are happening and all those plots are playing out and all, I mean, they could be, I don't know. I'm not a firefighter, but I wouldn't think that would be how it would be. It would be, you know, day to day um, stories and day to day calls that they have that are hard, are difficult and, 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 and dramatic at times and mundane at times. And, um, but that's not what a movie, you know, I, I, I would, yeah, like you said, if you're going for the documentary, then you make a documentary about it. If you're going for a movie, you can't slam the movie for using that profession as the basis for the story that he wrote and, or that they wrote. And um, I don't know. It just seems. Well, to- I mean, that would be like, that would be like uh, uh, roasting like the Rocky movies yeah. because like, oh, well, you know, I, I, well, bo- a real boxing movie, first two punches somebody's usually out if you yeah, get right. that, you're done yeah. you know yeah. i mean you drop a certain sense of uh of um realism or or, or like or uh, what do you call it uh, suspension of uh suspension of belief yeah just, you know yeah. and you you uh you, you do that for films and that's how you go along on the ride i mean well then i guess i guess with that then you know i guess i would go back you know uh, and say, well, let's just have one, one, let's just have one drill lieutenant, not one for me <laughs> and one for Tim. Like, let's let's go through and like judge all the movies like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, if if you're gonna if you're gonna say that, because I and I still think it just comes down to, you know, something. You know, obviously he just kind of he kind of bumped on, <clears throat> bumped on something, but it's just like, okay, how could how how would you change the movie to you know? Well, I think, no, you know what? I, I, I think based, John, I think you're right. Based on the, the last paragraph, if we're going to assume was going to be, is, is exactly that, you know, he, he didn't want, he didn't want that story to be taken off the fire and put on the, you know, the human story. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
I don't. I just don't know if there's a big stretch here. And like when I talk about the suspension of disbelief, there's not a big stretch that you you could see that somewhere in the United States that all three of those plots have maybe played out somewhere that there could have been somebody doing the you know the 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 setting the fires like that. There there could have been that love story, and there could have been that rivalry among brothers because it's a very common theme among police officers and cops of families and how they go through. And I mean, you look at Blue Bloods and you look at different movies and TV shows and stuff about that. That it's a very common thing you're looking at three four fifth generation you know firefighters police officers so all those stories could have played out at different times in different places just because they put all three together technically as a formula that doesn't does i don't think it merits the criticism that roger ebert gave in that review it's a hollywood yeah. movie it's a hollywood movie they're telling a story yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, you're, you got to balance entertainment with yeah. you know yeah. sure you have some factual technical things that are in there but it's a Hollywood movie. And again, I mean, it, maybe the realism of the firefighting is what got him thinking that when he was watching it. So maybe that, you know, for his particular case did not work for him in the sense of it took him out of that. And he wanted to see more of like the realism of what firefighters actually go through instead of appreciating just that it became like, wow, that is so realistic. I wonder what it would be like for real firefighters if you told real stories. And I don't even care about these other three formula plots anymore. I want to see more about that because it's done so well. So it almost maybe shoots itself in the foot with him. I don't know. Yeah. That's why he was thinking that way. I don't know. I'm going to story first and the, the, the realism of the fire just added to the overall setting and, and believability. I, and I might be way, I might be way off base here, you know, a ridiculous comparison, but I remember when the movie Titanic came out, there were, you know, a lot of people that loved to hate it and loved it, you know, and all this. But one of the things that I remember people saying was, you know, there would be, a, that would have been a really good movie if you just would have not had the love story. If you not would, would have not had Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet's thing in there, why did they have to put the love story in? And it can't, and it was like, I, that seems to be what they're saying with this. And, and it's kind of like, then you run into, and I don't, this isn't a roast at all because I love this movie, but then you run into something like the master and commander, you see master and commander. And like in the beginning, there were people that were just like this. I don't like, this is like watching a documentary about sailing. I like, I don't need to see that. I want to see, you know, I want to see a movie now master and commander is phenomenal, but it might be a little bit more of a niche movie than something else that won like all the awards that year. Well, why? Because they really focused on making like a documentary and day-to-day life and so on and so forth when they made that movie. Right. Um, You know, it's like anytime you film a movie about historical events, I mean, say for example, you filmed a movie about Pearl Harbor and do you need everything to be as historically accurate as I'm sorry. Did I say something? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you need the movie to be respectful that the people to the people that were actually there. I'm just going to go right on and say that. But I mean, let's let's talk let's talk about a good movie. I mean, if you guys have seen, um, Some, I, I won't be I careful. Turned a little red there, actually. Are yeah, you? I did. I, oh, I turned red. Oh yeah. I'm just telling you, Jules. I'm just telling you. I'm like a race car. I'm running in the red, and you don't want to run a race car in the red. Get a little sunburn there. Here I got oh, it's, it's Pat, sunburn. Uh, Pat, Pat, I got a, I got a song for you here. Let me play it for you, Rebecca. Something's burning, and I think it's Pat. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was I, man? I, I Greyhound. 
Mm. Did anybody have you guys seen Greyhound or no? No, I still need to, yes. and, and maybe now that I'm okay. maybe now so that I have good. some vacation time, uh, I can see it. Yeah, I yeah, that's that's an hour and a half of your life that you won't want back. You'll yeah. want to give another so hour good. and a half. But uh, like with that movie, and how can I say this in a spoiler-free way? Oh, go ahead. Some of the people that went and saw Greyhound felt like that was another thing where they were just like. Oh, well, why didn't you develop this character? Or I didn't know this, or these, these guys were just kind of like no name, just acting in it. And I felt like there was, you know, what was the plot thread and where was the, they wanted more story there. And they just were like, well, you, you helicoptered me in to the middle of a destroyer in the North Atlantic during the battle of the Atlantic. I didn't have like a a story there. And that's like the complete antithesis of what they're complaining about with this movie. So my point is, you're never going to make anybody happy. You're going to hit it from either side, right? So you have backdraft, and what are the critics saying? Oh, well, there's too much of this story that doesn't have anything to do with firefighting. Why did you? Well, because you're making a Hollywood movie, and it's a great story. And, you know, there's going to be th- some themes that you can lift out of that uh, just away from firefighting that – Yeah, like, okay, sure, brothers, uh, like, we talk about brothers all the time in movies. Okay, that's fine. I still get touched by the story, right? You see a a marriage that, you know, guy's trying to work it out, you know, with his wife and his kid and all this. But then you go to the other extreme and you have something like a master and commander. You have something like Greyhound. What do all the critics say? Ah, well, there really wasn't a story there. I mean, I know what they were trying to show, but they really need to put a story in there. And the bottom line is it's just like, you know what? I don't think you're going to ever – you're – you're always going to have people sitting there saying you should have done the other thing, you know? I mean, but it goes back to what you said earlier. It's about Ron Howard. It's the Vic Dickinson thing. Yeah. I put my pants on one leg at a time, but once those pants are on, I make million dollar records, you know? So, I mean, I I don't, I think those formulas are there because they also help people like you, like you said, if they're not there, sometimes people don't feel as connected to a character. You know, when you have those formulas that are there, those are what help develop a character or help you feel for them so that when they're in that fire or that perilous situation, you actually care. Versus, yeah. you know, the the you know the slasher films, like I said, when you have a slasher, I mean, you care about Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween because she was a developed character. You don't you don't care about the, you know, not, I'm not saying that you don't care about it, but you, you don't feel a connection when they're, when they get, you know, when they get hacked by, by Jason, um, you know, the four kids who are just kind of screwing around at a camp and you don't know who they are. So yeah. I think having, you have to give them some sort of story and is it going to be tapping into a formula? Probably the love, you know, the love issue, the, the brother issue, the and all those that they're going to. And that's what makes you then feel something for them. So that if you do lose a character, you actually care. So, okay, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that kid in class. Can I just have a list of the other movies that featured two brothers firefighting? Yeah, I'm just wondering what formula. I, I mean, well, I don't think when we say formula, I don't think he's saying two firefighters. He's gonna say two siblings throughout right. any different movies. He's so, gonna zoom out a little bit more than yeah, that. And so, but. I got it. So as long as we don't talk about brothers in any movie. We can be original. And, you know, I think I'm not even sure he's saying that. I think. See, now I'm getting angry. Now uh, I'm getting angry. <laughs> it all started with Pearl Harbor. <laughs> it's all John's fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> um, no, because I've read that review. You did, did you read the Roger Ebert review of this one? Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Um, I did. I don't, I don't know. As When I read that, I thought of it as not that he's criticizing those particular plot threads. Um, right. I think what he was criticizing was he felt like those plot threads were not developed enough or not genuine enough. 
that's at least the way I read it. Like he, the, right. not that he has a problem with the two brothers. I think he was just listing out here are the three plot threads that are in this. And he felt that they just were not, they were not fully developed enough or they were not complex okay. enough or whatever the case may be. I mean, I think as his review went on, he must've been having a, a really grumpy day because as the review went on, he gets more and more harsh towards the screenplay mm -hmm. writer. Um, but I'm not sure that he was criticizing and saying, God, any movie that has, you know, couples trying to reconcile, I absolutely hate any movie that does that or, you know, anything to that yeah. degree. Um, yeah, I think he was just saying he felt like the writing was not, it didn't, it didn't fulfill what it needed to fulfill within each of those plot mm -hmm. threads and, and do it well enough. Mm -hmm. Or, or, okay. Or maybe if I understood you correctly, what you were saying before, where it was like, that doesn't, those plot lines don't have anything to do with fighting fire. Keep it to something that has to do with fighting fire and save those plot lines for another, sort of like that, the love story in Titanic. Tell the story, keep it, keep your eye on the ball with this is a movie about firefighters. Keep the stories about firefighters, not something else. Maybe I, maybe uh, to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, we before we jump into our three questions here in a second, I just want to see if you guys do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with people on backdraft, or do you have a favorite quote or anything like that that you want to? Well, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to jump right in there and just say Pat's like, got about 45 minutes of favorite quotes. So yeah, I do. <laughs> but the, the the two, and then I got a favorite scene. But the two quotes. Well, and one's like, like a scene. The one quote is the one I was saying at the beginning is when it's like, how do you do it? How do you find new and interesting ways to mess up? You know, yes. and he has this, you know, and uh, I, I think that one's just classic. Um, and I mean, and you can use it. I mean, it works. And then the other one is where Inspector Rimgale, which I mean, we haven't even talked about Robert De Niro. And this one's for you, Jeff. Bobby D. <laughs> but uh, the uh, we haven't even talked about Robert De Niro. I mean, like, gosh, that guy's got game. I mean, holy cow, that guy can. But Inspector Rimgale, when he's in, when he's when he's talking with the guy, when he first meets him, and he's just like, okay, uh, so let me get this right. You know, your station commander, your scene commander, your battalion chief. Everybody told you just to stay still, but you decided to be the hero. And he's got. I mean, the dialogue's much better. But he basically builds this guy up. So you did this, and then it was just like he finally he's yelling at the guy, and it's something. What would he? He ventilated a window or something, and he was standing in. You gasoline. checked to see if you were standing in a lake of gasoline. You uh, uh, did you check to see? That's right, you idiot! You could have burned and crispered and da 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 da. And he just he just lays into that guy, and I just like yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Um, so I, I like those quotes, and then I'll I'm gonna mute myself in a second. But I'll tell you the one scene that I really like, and maybe this is why I bumped so much on saying that the it wasn't done well. But the scene with the two. The, the two brothers, first of all, the Irish dancing was awesome at the party. When that came, I'm just like, nice. Some Irish tunes, some Kaylee music. But when they're sitting there and Steven's talking to his, his wife and she's there with like her boyfriend or whatever, the guy she's seeing. And he turns around and he just starts ripping on his brother. Right. Dude, what about your brother's a real dummy or something like that? And like, I mean, like I said, it's, it's just, that's kind of like, the sibling 
relationship that I understand is exactly that. Like you could be fighting to the point of like, like you said in the toast, after 20 years of not talking or 15 years of not talking, they can still manage to be ticked off with each other. Like that's where they were. Like that's the last you see is them fighting, right? And arguing with each other. And the next thing he's calling him an idiot and he just looks at the guy and just smashes him in the mouth, right? Just without a th- like, what'd you say about my brother? He didn't even ask him. He just hits him, right? And then he gets jumped and then Brian turns around and doesn't even like know the complete situational awareness, doesn't it? Just sees that guy's down on his brother and he comes running across the room and takes that guy out. And I, that's one of my favorite scenes. I mean, not, not that I think fighting is the way to solve your problems or that, you know, being intoxicated to the point of falling over is a good thing. But see that to me, that rang true of like siblings idea, where well, it's just the idea that so, any, I was just, just the idea yeah. that any, 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 you can mess with each other all yep, day right. long and have your differences. But if someone else messes with one of the family or one of the brothers, you automatically bond together. That, Mary, and it sounds like a stupid comparison because you had much better ones than I did. But it always came to mind with Married with Children. The TV okay. Show. If you notice, yeah. they're on every, every episode, they're just making fun of her. They're making fun of the dad. I mean, they just make fun. He makes fun of the wife. The wife makes fun. I mean, they just constantly are ripping and insulting each other all day. But the minute another character comes in and messes with one of them, it's like, no. You know, and that's kind of how it is. Like, I can make fun of them, but you can't. And they all bond together as a family and destroy whatever that outside threat is in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of that same thing. Like, the blood is thick. You know, like, it's just... Blood is thicker than water. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's true. And, the, and and I agree with you. It's the same thing with me and my brother. You know, oh, yeah. I'm all my brothers. We could rip on and, and joke with each other all day and then sometimes not joke with each other all day. But the minute someone else comes in, you just like, everything else stops. And you're like, wait, what are you doing? What are you, no, no. You know, you come to each other's aid, you're going to stand up, you know, like you're going to, you're going to, that, that just would always happen. You know, maybe that was blue collar, maybe blue collar sister or growing up, but at your son, I don't know where you grew up or what your family was, but I'm like, that's, that's how we were. It's like, yeah, I got to admit. Like, and that was on the Italian side of the family and the Irish side of the family. I mean, and that, and like I said, that scene always rang true for me. Godfather, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of, well, I was thinking of brother movies and stuff and things that are out there. There's a lot of those movies that have played out and it's like, you know, a lot of those do, do happen. I, I mean, I'll tell you, like, I mean, I remember that there was the, the neighborhood. Uh, my cousins came to visit. My cousin's a couple of years older than me. My cousins came to visit and my next door neighbor, they caught wind of the, the neighbor and he was friends with another guy up the street. And they were good friends. I mean, I played with it. They were really nice guys, but I guess they said something to me that my cousins didn't take a liking to. So they were in town for all of about five minutes. They were down from Minnesota. And the, all of a sudden, like, they're like, really? That's what the neighbor kid was saying. And they like, we went outside to play and they came busting out of the house and they grabbed him and shoved him in a box, like an old refrigerator box or something, shoved them, shoved the kid in the box, closed it down and put me on top. Yeah. And then like, and it was just like, yeah, don't mess with our cousin. I mean, that was like, and I remember this and I'm, you know, my folks, my aunt and uncle, yeah, that's well, cousins come to town. That's what's going to happen. So this scene really, and so that's why I guess I get I guess I get my hackles up when it's like, oh, well, it's just, you know, melodrama and you don't need that there. And I'm just like, wow, because that to me seemed particularly effective. And I I don't think of that many other movies where you see it on display like that, you know, like that well written. So because well, you, you don't connect with the characters when you're watching them firefighting. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know no. that you, you don't get that emotional. You look at it and you'd be like, oh, hey, Steven. Yeah, he's a, he, he is a skilled firefighter. I can tell because of him, you know, knowing when he can charge in and maybe he's being a little reckless, but knowing when he can charge in, but I don't emotionally connect with the character because he does things like that. You emotionally connect. And that exact same scene for me when I was like, okay, so they really, I mean, they, they do this whole thing where it looks like they hate each other, but when push comes to shove, literally, yeah. They will push and shove if somebody messes with their with their family, yep. and that's when oh, you, that's when you connect emotionally with these characters is in those moments, which you know it, it completely undoes Roger Ebert's point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, that's, I I agree. I mean, like I said, if somebody if you see this footage and you see this firefighter, you do feel bad for a firefighter dying, but. It's the reaction of someone else watching that other firefighter and their relationship and, and everything else that makes something more emotional or less emotional along with yours. So if you haven't had a chance to have it with that character that you don't, it doesn't mean that you don't care. You just don't care as much. You're not invested. And then also you get more investment because not only is it the person that, you know, dies in a fire or dies in a police thing, whatever it might be, whatever the story is, it's also about the people who you saw that relationship play out with. You know, so who's left behind, who now has to grieve or what that's going to impact on them. I mean, that's the other emotional push that you get as well. So and isn't that isn't that as a society, isn't that what, you know, is, yeah, isn't that what we're supposed to do? I mean, you know, yeah. you, you'll hear any sort of whether it's a disaster or a, a, a battle or a whatever. And, you know, you, you look at a death toll and, you know, it's like the question of how much is too many. And well, it's like one because one person has all those relationships and whether they're a father or a mother or a son or a daughter, you know what I'm saying? And so that's what I think what you do with this movie is that's, that's why when you make the movies, you need to have those human stories is because that shows you what we, what we as a society should really be thinking when we see that someone dies, right? Is what was all that person to someone? They're not just a number, you know? And I think that's, that's where, like we said before, in movies like this, you need to have some kind of a human story so that you do care about those characters. Yeah. I will say a couple of my favorite lines in this. I always enjoy finding lines in movies that I can reuse in real life. And mm-hmm. um, I thought the morgue scene was pretty good. It did like that one. Um, and, and that the line in that one was, was <sighs> kind of along the same area where I, I like to find lines I can use with my kids from time to time. And it was the one where he's like, McCaffrey, come on over, give us a hand. I don't think so. It's not my contract. Throw any throws gloves at him. He's like, I just rewrote your contract. Come give us a hand. That's along the same lines where if my kids, if I'm telling them something and they're like, that's not what you said we were going to do. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Yeah. There's that one. And then the other one that I enjoyed, cause I feel like we found one of Roger's formulas. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So uh, the other one that I also enjoyed because I felt like I could use that at work every, every once in a while is, uh, when Steven at one point says to Brian, you got a real short memory for following direct orders. I told you to stay right beside me. Now I I could cut that. I could cut the second half of that out and just start with, you got a real short memory for following direct orders. (laughs) Insert other phrase here. Yeah. Insert. Mm -hmm. All right. Add it. <sighs> All right, I we got an honor of Jeff. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, we got any others? All right. Well, before we move on to three questions, oh, I that's my brother. That's my oh, yeah. brother. That's my brother. Anyway, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, before we move on to three questions, I, I did not want to pass up this movie without making this point as well. Um, any of you guys ever watch Family Guy? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this movie in particular, when I started watching it, and I know the title of the movie is Backdraft. And I start watching it, and after about the third or fourth time they said the word backdraft, I'm like, this really remind this reminds me of one of my favorite little clips that they did in Family Guy. So, uh, so I pulled that one up. So this is every time they said backdraft, this is what I started thinking of. Boy, I usually only get this excited when they say the title of a movie in the movie. I'm telling you, these drug dealers represent a clear and present danger to the United States. <laughs> he said it. He said it. All I'm saying is, what if this is as good as it gets? Yeah, yeah, there it is, there it is. The only way for me to solve this crisis is to be Superman 4, the quest for peace. Oh, that's why they call it that. What do we got, partner? Empty alcohol containers, the driver is inebriated and covered in blood, he's got scratches on his face and arms, there's a blood-soaked corpse in the back seat, got shovels in there, and a hand-drawn map titled, This is Where We'll Hide the Body. Well, that all seems fine. Sorry to bother you, sir. Small amount of pot! You're under arrest, dirtbag! Oh, come on! I don't appreciate drug addicts in my town. I'm a family guy. Ah, 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 he said it! <laughs> <laughs> so anytime the movie says the title of the movie in the movie, it always makes me think of the Family Guy episode. Backdraft. 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 Ah, 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 he said it. It's a, it's a backdraft. Yeah. <laughs> we got a guy setting up backdrafts. Yeah. All right, it is time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, before I go any further with the three questions, I do want to say, earlier tonight, John was kind of rambling on about something. And and Nora stopped and she, she just goes, we're trying to get everything ready for dinner, put, you know, put everything out on the table. And he comes down and he's just, he's being 13 year old boy. So he's just trying to get a rise out of people. He's just like rambling about something that doesn't even make sense. I think he's just trying to get us frustrated. <laughs> and Nora stops and she goes, John, what you've just said is one of the most oh, insanely no. idiotic. Things. Oh, wow. <laughs> And, oh, she, and, and she kind of, she let, she left out a couple parts in the middle and she just looks at him. She goes, everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> she has a big wit. Like, oh, I'm so proud of one of them. <laughs> All right. Well, question number one, if you were going to be a first responder of some kind in real life, what would you choose? Police, fire, EMT, or something else? 
Dennis, you already you already said you had considered I, at one I, point. Yeah, Frankfurt. my things were like I I can tell I always tell everybody my my things were it was baseball player was first. If that didn't happen, it was it was a police officer, firefighter, or teacher. Okay. So there you go. Um, the so reason you, being, so you settled, and, and you settled for last place then <laughs> I, I did. I took the, yeah, <laughs> I, went, I went the easier way. Um, the, well, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Uh, the, yes. <laughs> there are people emailing the show. People emailing right now. I feel um, the emails. Are yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'll still stand by that. I'm not going to say that one is necessarily better than the other in terms of like, you know, the whole idea is behind all those, those three were like making a difference, you know, making a difference in people's lives. And I thought as a firefighter, you get to do that probably every day. You're hopefully saving somebody or helping somebody as a police officer, you're helping somebody or saving somebody, you know, as a teacher, you're helping make a difference in kids' lives. And, you know, and it was like all three of those. And I actually pursued both of those. It was just the process for the suburbs and where I was at, according, you know, to those locations where I was currently living, it was a long process for a few jobs. And when you go into a room and at the time there was, you know, 200 other, EMT experienced guys who are trying to be a firefighter, um, you know that having gone through the process with my brother and getting down to the final two a couple times is a long, I mean, it took up months. They have to go through the psychological background. They go through it. So there was a lot to get there and it was a lot of waiting and waiting to get one or two spots and then maybe you don't get it and then you got to start all over again. So it was more like I didn't have, you know, I, that was, that was part of the influence um, or like a part of the reason for, for not pursuing those, but I utmost respect for both of those jobs and both, I mean, without a doubt, like firefighter, I still will wave. I still, and, and that's why it's been obviously a rough year, um, you know, rough year. Or so with a lot of the, I think back now would, would that be something I'd want to go into, you know, um, I, I would, but I'm saying it's not as promoted as it might, it might've been, you know, in the past where I think it was a more respected it's now. So part of me is kind of like, why would I do that now and risk my life for somebody else who people don't appreciate it. And I know that's just a, a very quick, quick uh, knee jerk reaction. And then there's that, but I'm saying that I'm sure that goes through a lot of people's minds. And, um, but then at the same time you make a difference and you make that profession better. So that's the other reason why you would go into it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Pat, what about you? I, well, Dennis was very eloquent in his answer and I, I, uh, don't want to just cop a bunch of what he said. I, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I, I, I gotta be honest and I, how would I say this? I don't know if, I don't know if I can answer cause I, you know, I think, what Dennis said made a whole lot of sense. And I think the way he said it made a whole lot of sense. And, and I guess, I guess my answer would just be, it's easy for me to sit here in a place of comfort and say, Oh, I'd love to be a firefighter. I'd love to be a police officer. I'd you know? Um, but I just, I guess, I guess my answer would be is, you know, if, if I was called to do that, I, I hope I'd be able to do it the right way. So I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I can know what one of your, he said any other profession. I know what another one that we've talked about that you felt that you had a draw, a draw or a pull to, which was what? Uh, well, I, yeah, I, I, I planned, I talked about going in, you know, uh, going in the military. Yeah. Um, is the same, and, you know, the, the concept and the idea is a lot of the same thing to serve, to, you know, uh, fight injustice, to do the right, you know, and, but, but all those jobs do come with, with uh, I, some conflicts and some different things. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. And I, and I just, it's, you know, I just, it would be easy to say, but I just, I, the thing that trips me up is I just, I, I don't want to be disrespectful to all the folks. Cause I mean, we know 
and we talked about, we know plenty of police officers, we know firefighters, you know, I know people that have served and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just, I don't want to, I, I don't want it to be like, Oh yeah, I'd love to do your job. You know, I mean, I, that's just the one thing that I, I bump on. So I, uh, I don't know if I can give you a specific answer there. Pat just rejected your question. (laughs) (laughs) I think you might, you might've gone military. Yeah. Yeah. Military. That's that's why from from having talked to you for a while, I think you would have gone more military. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want to these. If I had to pick one of the two, I honestly, I think at the time that I was, I would have gone, I would have gone police. Mm -hmm. Me too. I think I, as, I admire what firefighters do. I could not do that. The burning building thing. Inhaling yeah. the smoke, inhaling the smoke, the higher. I, and I think yeah. what also impacted me was I also knew um, an, uh, a couple of firefighters who lived across from us. We had a captain of sister fire department and some of them had to deal with like a lot of higher rates of cancer, things sure. like that. Around the so now at the same time, police officers have to have daily, <laughs> you know, you yeah. might not come home that day. So each of them right. have risk. Um, I feel like police officer could in the long term it's going to come down to more and more of as long as you're if you pay attention to the training you can you can make it whereas yeah. when you're running into a burning building if fire the way the, the, the roof yeah anything can happen anything can fall right smoke inhalation like there's so many different yeah there's yeah so like if i was that, even if you make it through 20 or 30 years of service in there, there's a good chance that, you know, you're looking at possibilities of some cancers and stuff that pop up because you're still breathing all these fumes of all these burning things in there along the way. And honestly, at the, at the, when I was at that meeting, you know, with looking at all these guys who are going to be that they actually like, somewhat try to not scare you from it, but they give you a realistic view and they, mm-hmm. they tell you, so they tell you if, like the, you know, the, the, the negative things, they're not trying to scare people away, but they're also not trying to make people think it's going to be you just getting to be in a, in a, you know, in a, in a firehouse and eating and having a great time with everybody. And you go out and save kittens from the tree and that's going to be it. It's like, no, there's long-term risks to, you know, that are like that, mm-hmm. that will happen here and these are the incidents. And I remember them laying them all out in a PowerPoint at the time. Um, to this whole big gym full of all these people. Uh, is it Morton? I want to say it was at Morton West, but um, yeah, it, it's, it, I, I, I agree with you. I think the police officer thing might be a little more control, but, uh, and again, depending on where you're at too. Suburban, oh, sure. Suburban sure. versus city. I mean, you know, and John? I, my reasons are a little bit more simplistic. I probably would have to go police. And at one point in time, you know, when I was, I think when I was, when I was in high school, um, I think the idea of being, it was always interesting to me, the idea of being like a police investigator, maybe not necessarily, you know, on some type of a beat or anything like that. You know, I, I obviously have my own opinions on firearms and things like that, that would not fit with being a cop. So that would be a little complicated for something like that. I don't think I could do the other two. And my reasons are simple. I'm really no good at all on heights or ladders and I cannot stand being around blood. So I don't know that EMT and firefighter would be good choices for me. Yeah. So I, given those choices, I think I would have to choose if I was choosing from, you know, that list of like three or four things. Um, but the idea, I mean, it, it always interested me. And I think sometimes with like, um, 
you know, like CSI and law and order and some of those shows, the, which is weird now. Cause I didn't even, I didn't go into any type of a job that had anything to do with science. Um, but in high school, like DNA and that type of stuff always kind of interested me a little bit. So for, for maybe like, you know, half a minute, I thought at one point I'd like, that could be kind of cool. Like, like I, I don't see myself necessarily being, you know, a, you know, a cop walking the street or something like that. But the idea of investigating crimes and using the science to be able to do that. And like that, that to me was kind of cool. So I, that, mm-hmm. that would have been, I probably would have gone more that route if I had decided to, but it's the same type of thing. You know, any of the, any of the type of careers that I was looking at through, you know, high school, college, whatever, it was always some type of a service thing. It was, am I going to serve in this way? Well, based on some of my own feelings about certain things, that's probably not a good place for me to serve in because I'm not going to shoot anybody. Uh, if it came down to it, you know, I, I would rather not have to make that choice. I appreciate that people do have to make that choice and, and, uh, you know, all props to anybody who does. Um, but that's not for me. And so I'm glad that there are people that are willing to do that. Cause that's, that's a choice I don't want to have to make. So, yeah. but there are people that do that job and have to make those hard decisions. Yeah. All right. Question well, number two, if you were headed into a fight and could take one person to help yeah. you, which Kurt Russell character would you choose? Do I get to go first before everybody else steals this one? Yeah, go for it. Snake Plissken. Ah, <laughs> good call. <laughs> I knew Pat was going to go. That's why I had to jump <laughs> <up>. <laughs> It's got to be Snake Plissken. Snake Plissken. <laughs> I love Snake Plissken. <laughs> good, good films, man. That's outstanding. Number one is superior. New, New York one is yeah. superior. L.A. is yeah. comical, but still an entertaining. But number yeah. one at least. Those, uh, believe it or not, I saw that in a theater. I don't even you, know when that was released. 81. Was it? Yeah, so. I was you 10. Were... <laughs> your uncle, John, he wasn't any way related to much. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> that's okay. awesome and the youngest of five so you yeah there's a yeah. span you know if i'm 10 yeah. and the oldest brother is 18 19 and the other ones are 17 16, you know they're going down that ladder it was just kind of like you know we're not gonna get a babysitter for one damn kid yeah <laughs> that's so, outstanding throw him in and he could deal with nightmares and therapy later <laughs> yeah well, I, well, Dan, I mean, we were talking about the the spaghetti westerns, all the Sergio Leone movies, and I was watching those things, and it blew me away. I started watching them again last year. Yeah. I'm like, man, those things are all R rated and really R rated. I watched those things when I was like seven or eight years old with my Pretty hairy. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, I know. So yeah, that's awesome. Okay, good call with Snake Plissken. Seriously. So, uh, and if you don't say the other one, somebody else doesn't say the other one. I'll give you my runner up. Okay. I'll wait. I will wait. John, why don't you get in there? I, I, I think we, I think we know your answer, but maybe we don't. You, you no. might not. Like I, I was a little bit back and forth on this and I, I almost went with, uh, I almost went with Wyatt Earp, but I did not. Oh, yep. yep. Okay. So that's yep. what I was thinking. I, I, I was thinking. I, yeah. I did not. I was going to, but I did, I did not. I did not choose Wyatt Earp. Um, you went with, you went with Captain Ron. No. No, I here. I, I want you guys just to remember what old Jack Burton does when the earthquakes, the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. 
I'm going to pick him because regardless of what happens that movie, he ends up coming out okay. And Mm -hmm. he's hilarious while he does it. So even if I'm going to die, at the very least, I get a laugh in right before I die. You know, Mm -hmm. because he's kind of clumsy. And, um, you know, maybe not everybody around him is going to survive, but I feel like he'd be fun in a fight. Mm -hmm. And frankly, he's a reasonable guy. He's just experienced some very unreasonable things. (laughs) All right. So I'll, I'll go with I'll go with old Jack Burton. Well, then I'll, I, you know what, I'll go with, okay, Snake Plissken and Jack Burton were taken. I'll go with Wyatt Earp. There you go. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Wyatt Earp, man. That guy, um, what, I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, he was the quintessential Western man. <laughs> eyes squinted with the sun. Mm-hmm. Strong brow. You know, or what did he say? Strong chin lines or mm-hmm. whatever. When that excellent scene when Billy D, or not Billy D. Williams, um, what's his name? The guy that was playing the actor that was sitting there watching him. Yeah, yeah. Um, What's his name? Um, yes. Billy Zane. Yes. Billy mm-hmm. Zane was sitting there analyzing him and everything. Yeah. So I would say, I would say, um, if if Snake Plissken, Jack Burton, I would put Wyatt Earp in there. Mm-hmm. Where's Wyatt at? Probably somewhere walking on water. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bo, what do you got? Well, I had ego. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. If you're going to go into a fight, go into a fight with a planet. That was my thought. Yeah. Um, I also said Snake as okay. a as a grounding me to a real person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my first instinct was ego. Okay. <laughs> yes, I do have one. It's quite impressive. <laughs> it's quite impressive. Yeah. Uh, from Tango and Cash, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I tell you, I, I think Stephen McCafferty, would be, he'd be a strong contender in, in this as well. I mean, because sure. that's, that's a guy that would, you know, have your back. Well, clearly we know how he does in a fight. So, we, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. And question number three, what's your favorite movie about some type of first responder, whether it's police, fire, EMT, whatever the case may be. I'll go ahead and give mine. Cause it's the, it's the totally unrealistic version of this. Um, I'm going to go with cops and I'm going to go with demolition man. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's another mm-hmm. one that uh, if you want to talk about a movie that, you're there to have fun. Maybe doesn't have the strongest story in the world. I don't know. I don't know how Roger Ebert felt about Demolition Man, but frankly, I don't care because that movie's fun. I have this weird feeling that Roger didn't bother with Demolition Man. Maybe not. Oh man, Bo, what what is your what is your? Uh, no, movie this was an interesting one for me because I I ran the gamut, but I think I landed on the original Beverly Hills Cop. Mm, okay. Um, with an honorable mention to the TV show Rescue Me. Which oh, okay. will always have a special spot in my heart. Okay. Are you going? Yeah, I'll jump in there. Uh, I, I'm going to have to give you two on this one. Um, but uh, but I'll uh, – if I had to pick one, I think I'll say, I'll say Heat. Uh, I – just I can rewatch that movie. I think I do rewatch that movie once or twice a year. Um, fantastic crime drama with, you know, just fantastic actors and actresses all over the place. You know, great story and and I, I think a degree of realism in there. So, um, yeah. And and I I guess if I had to give an honorable mention though, 
Because and actually, I might have to reverse this. Would be bullet. I was going to um, say I was surprised that you. Didn't yeah, know. yeah. I you know what I I. And I was like, yeah. The ch- okay, so the chase scene is is incredible. The music is incredible. I mean, you've got the the um, uh, Lalo Schifrin score, and I mean, it's Steve McQueen. He's my favorite actor. So I mean, really, it's a no brainer. Actually, I should probably put bullet up there, and. Um, they say too that you know, like the way McQueen played Bullet really opened the door for kind of the renegade cop that does things his own way, and you know all that kind of stuff. And and you know, like the idea of of not wearing a suit to the job, but like the turtleneck with the you know and the the the, the sport coat and everything like that. But uh, yeah, I should probably go with Bullet. Yeah, I'll go with Bullet. I'll go with Bullet. Okay. What was your other one? What was your other one you said? Uh, my, uh, the runner-up would be Heat. So I, I'd say Bullet would be the number one. Yeah, Bullet's got to be the number one. Okay, Dennis, go ahead. Um, I, I'm going to go with uh, an old and a new one because I couldn't come up with you know I mean? And I was thinking more serious because then there's like some of the funner one, like more fun ones that I was thinking. But um, I mentioned earlier, so Dirty Harry. I yeah. First one, and it's like everything that might be right about that job, and everything that might be wrong about that job, all in the struggle and and the way things work, and uh, just yeah, um, that would be one. The original Dirty Harry. Number two uh, would be um, this. What was uh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, the second one I had was actually um, uh, Traffic. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is the character of uh, of uh, Benicio del Toro. That character in that movie, like I know it's not, it's about more things, but you got Don Cheadle in there. You got that. Um, those are my more realistic, I guess, ones if you want to call that like the more realistic films or whatever about that type of stuff. But um, yeah, those are the those are the two that like popped out for me right away. Departed, I was close to two. I was that, running up, was running yeah, up. that was on my list for a little yeah. while too. That one. And yeah. So Yeah. That's solid. And then I almost went naked gun. <laughs> police police academy? Police Academy, yeah. There you there go. There you go. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. Yeah, that was good. <sighs> That's hard because there's like the funny cop movies and then there's the serious. And if we're going more with the serious with that question, I got to go with those. Yeah. Cause there's, there's all of those films have a sort of the, the conflict of those positions that have some sort of power and mm-hmm. temptation and futility and frustration. And I mean, all, all three of those characters, I think experienced and at least in three movies that I was mentioning, mm-hmm. I think feel that like, why is, you know Benicio del Toro's character not just give in and but he's sitting there I just I want to see kids play baseball you know I love that line so it's a great and then they end the movie with him in a in a in a, in a thing watching kids play baseball so yeah traffic that was Michael Douglas was in there Michael right? Douglas was the oh yeah oh man and that was yeah that was oof. that was that was quite a movie pretty a gritty a bad taste in your mouth, frustrated sort of film that just, yeah. I mean, you, 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 what you, and then you spoiler alert. Yeah. But you pretty much feel like you're just, you pick up where you almost left off or you end where you want, where you started and nothing seemed to necessarily get better, but well, I think maybe, that was the point. Like maybe it was showing the, the that, well, exactly, of that whole yeah. process. Although the, within certain stories, there was some glimmers of hope. Sure. 
but at the same time, no one was uns- unscathed throughout all this. Everyone paid a price and everyone is a lot. Everyone lost something in that movie, whether it was someone's innocence, whether that was someone's partner, whether that was someone, you know, it was like everybody lost something in that movie all for this battle over this, this war, you know, that almost seemed impossible to win. Mm-hmm. Yet you try to fight the good fight and there's going to be people that doing that. And what do you do? And I think that's, some some timely questions for a lot of things. It's like, what do you? What's yeah? I don't know. I I had a hard time watching that movie, like around yeah. that because when that came out around two thousand. Uh, when do you think? Two thousand. Um, I want to say it was before that. No, maybe okay. let's see. It's got to be like ninety nine. I feel like I watched it like my first year of college. Oh, you're right. 2000. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yep. 2000. I was yeah. thinking 97, 98, but yeah. I had a, well, I had a hard time, hard time watching that and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but there was a, a member of our extended family was mm-hmm. going through some stuff very similar to the judge's daughter, you know, in that. And, and I, and that we were, we were right in the thick of that, you know, finding out about that. Um, you know, the, one of our relatives was, and, and it was almost, it was almost, eerily too similar to mm. what she was going through in the movie and things she was doing in the movie. And, and it just, I, I remember, I remember I was by myself. I went, it was one of those movies that I, you know, none of my other friends or roommates wanted to go see it. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll just go see it by myself. And I remember sitting in the theater and just, and just like tensing up during, you know, that storyline of the movie and just being like, I, I don't know. I do. <laughs> Do I need to leave this movie? Can I, you know, finish watching this movie? But it just was so, it was almost too real at that point. I mean, I can't even say that I was like, I don't have a similar story with this, with any family member like that. I can really think of it that at any point or going through, but like, I could only imagine that if you had that going on, because I felt what you're saying, mm-hmm. but to a much obviously less connected degree, because you're not, I'm not experiencing the same thing with a family member, but you right. get that the, the color grading on that film, yep. the sound in the soundtrack on that film, the quiet spots, the, the, the transition from one story to the next. It's just like when they would bounce back to the different kind of, you know, characters and stuff. It is just, it gives you a nauseating sort of sick feeling and a frustrated feeling. Yes. And, I just, and, and, and each of those stories that you see play out, for those people, and we talk about like, you know, formulas, I mean, they're not formulas, but, but those stories play out every day. Like you said, like that character of the daughter, she's not the only one you experience. And for your, you're not the only one. There's millions of people going through that, you know, all across the, and, and, and it's, it's a scary, it's, it's a, it's an uneasy film to watch. And I thought one of the most excellent, I, it was one of my not that I enjoy watching it, but it's a, it's a well done awesome. film. It does, exactly job, yeah. it, does. it does exactly what it's supposed to do. But I remember thinking it's a simple, you know, you want a clear, simple answer to a problem like that. And it showed you that, that there isn't even the kids it saying, even when the kid, uh, what's the name from, um, uh, to, to, um, for grace. Is it? Uh, Who's the I, kid from, I think isn't so. It, isn't it Topher Grace? The I kid? think so. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure the name. Who was in uh, the '70s show or whatever? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, when he has him in the car and he's like talking about like what? Like you know, he explains how like the inner city and like the kids from the suburbs come down in the inner city and they do mm-hmm. like the whole explanation of kind of like you, what, what would you think you're going to go work and make that you know like when they can make them it, it just giving all different sides of the story and and you know yeah so I thought that was always a powerful film and and, and the same thing plays out 
both even like Dirty Harry, where it's like he's trying to save this girl, but there's the, the bureaucratic stuff that stops you. And then when does he cross the line? When does he go too far? And what if he's wrong and he goes too far? You know, like there's a lot of ethical and uh, it's it's kind of like the, the hits out in you know war movies too, where you're put in these dilemmas where being a good guy is not always the easy thing to do. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Same thing with Departed. You know, so, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Backdraft. That's going to do it for this episode. So um, thank you so much, everybody, for being here tonight, uh, Bo and Pat and uh, Dennis. So thank you, guys. Uh, very, very quickly, go check out our podcast website, 30podcast.com. You can find all of our old episodes, ways that you can uh, join us there on Patreon so you can get some of those exclusive episodes that come out each and every month. Um and then kind of just to give you a sense of what we got coming up next, we have one week left in the month of January. We're already done with our, you know, we're one twelfth of the way through January after next week or one twelfth of the way through wow. the, through the year wow. after next week. Um, so we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze coming up next week. Um, it, it may be a, a little bit of a, a lighter episode than this one has been. Um then in February is our family month. We've got Father of the Bride, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Regarding Henry, The Adams Family, and our Patreon exclusive in February will be Willy Wonka from 1971. Then in March, we've got Necessary Roughness. That's the Girl Power Month. We've got Necessary Roughness, My Girl, Thelma and Louise, Fried Green Tomatoes, and Soap Dish. And our Patreon exclusive episode for the month of March is going to be our top three favorite songs from the years 1990 to 1991. Uh, and, and guys, I will tell you, I did already start to break out the um, paired decision chart that I mm-hmm. use when I have trouble with things like this. And let's just say I'm, I might need to make a spreadsheet. Oh, dear. I'm, I might need to just put it in Excel and now you know it's serious. Yeah. Color coded charts. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, and, then tables. If, and then if you want to get way ahead, uh, we don't have a Patreon episode picked out just yet for April, but the month of April is California Dreams. That one is Doc Hollywood, The Hard Way, L.A. Story, and Career Opportunities. So that'll get you through if you're looking ahead and you're wanting to find copies of the movies so that you can watch them before we get to them. Uh, that'll get you through to the end of April for the show. So that's what we got coming up. Um So that's going to do it this time around for the 30-something movie podcast. Again, thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thanks, Russell. Thank you. All right. And like I said, next time we'll be back here for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Everybody be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next week.